This episode of Recording Studio Rockstars is brought to you by OWC, Whisper Room, Eventide Audio, Spectra 1964, and Roswell Pro Audio. So get ready to rock. For me, without music, there's no life. So, you know, this is all I know. This is all I do. I don't know how to do anything else. For me, it's just a logical idea is to keep your studio and figure out the sleeping stuff afterwards, you know? As long as I have the studio, I can work and, and make more money and then hopefully get, you know, an apartment again. Like I said, it all worked out well. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. This episode is sponsored by OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, your trusted source for memory and speed upgrades, DIY installs, and used Macs for your studio. Let OWC focus on keeping your studio Mac in killer condition so that you can focus on making great music. Why ditch your existing Mac when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and learn how you can supercharge your studio Mac. The speed to create, the capacity to dream. Find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. The Spectra 1964-101 amplifier provides unequaled headroom, low noise, and a linear output, irrespective of transient audio peaks. In the studio, this means that critical details from your microphone get through to your DAW. The 101 was used by Tom Dowd, Muscle Shoals, Stack Studios, and The Record Plant on records by ZZ Top, Aerosmith, Bruce Springsteen, and John Lennon. Today, Spectra 1964 brings that same incredible sound to your studio with the STX-100 mic pre. Learn more at Spectra 1964. What do Michael Brower, Joe Ciccarelli, Dave Pensato, and George Massenberg all have in common? They all have great things to say about Eventide. Originating in a New York City basement in 1971 with the original Instant Phaser and H910 Harmonizer, Eventide continues to transform the sound of music with the iconic H9000 Harmonizer, visionary guitar effects like the H9 pedal, and now a whole suite of incredible plugins for your studio. Go to eventide.com to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. If you're sick of bothering the neighbors when you are trying to record your music or ruining your recordings with outside noises, but you're not ready to spend a ton of money on permanent studio construction yet, then consider getting a Whisper Room ISO booth for your studio. Whisper Room offers the instant solution for a comfortable, quiet, ventilated, portable ISO booth with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booth when you mention recording studio rock stars. Go to whisperroom.com or click the link in the show notes below. Hey, Rockstars, it's your host, Lid Sean. Welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Maddie Harris, a music producer, mixing, and mastering engineer, originally from Boston, also my hometown. As a young musician, he won several awards, including Best Drummer in New England, touring with jazz, blues, and calypso bands, playing clubs by the age of 14, and later went on to Berklee College of Music to study music production and engineering. 
Maddie's work in the studio includes credits for Atlantic, RCA, and Warner Brothers Records, Sammy Adams, ASAP Rocky, Logic, Little Yachty, Cousin Stiz, and the Grammy Award-winning song Stronger for Kelly Clarkson, winning the 2008 Boston Music Award for Best Hip-Hop Engineer and Producer. Maddie now lives in Los Angeles, where he also runs a cool YouTube channel teaching you how to create music in the studio called Mix and Master My Song, which also happens to be the name of his website and studio where he works with artists from all over the world. So today I'm really excited to dig into uh, and find out more about Maddie's story of moving from Boston to LA to pursue music and see what insights we can learn about the best tools and techniques for creating, mixing, and mastering your music in the studio. So please welcome Maddie Harris to Recording Studio Rockstars. Maddie, are you ready to rock, dude? Let's go, man. I'm so excited to be on here. I've been following you for a long time, so it's cool to be uh, be on the podcast now. Dude, that's awesome, man. And, and maybe I should say, you know, since we're, you know, two brothers from Boston, um, are, you know, are you, are you wicked ready to rock? Are you ready to I'm wicked well, rock? Wicked. I'm wicked ready. <laughs> wicked ready. Yeah, indeed, dude. Um, we're, we're both Boston transplants to new places. Yeah, that's great. What part of Boston are you from? Well, I grew up in the Burbs, so it was okay. like, you know, Concord, Acton, Wayland, and then yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Boston was the place we'd you know, you know, take my parents' car and and drive in to go see shows and stuff like that. We used to go, you know, like all the first. Well, I you know I was in school in St. Louis, so I saw shows there, but I saw would see like shows at the Channel and and um, was it Paradise or something like that? Was that yeah, one of the Paradise. places? The Paradise? Paradise is still there. Was Channel like a, um, an old rock club? Because that was a little bit before I started. So I was in Maine for a while. Then we moved to Boston. And so I was all over the place. And um, I think, was that like the old hardcore group uh, yeah. club? Was, yeah. It was yeah. pretty. I mean, okay. I saw the yeah. Meat Puppets there, which was great. Yeah, 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 like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The Dead Milkman and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Awesome, man. Well, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, in your own words, pretty quickly, you know, your, your background in music. I mean, it's pretty impressive. You were playing stages at 14 years old. Um, you yeah. know, how do you get from all that to ending up out in LA? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I mean, I, I I knew pretty early on that I loved music and it was my passion. And, and I was lucky enough to have a mom who maybe just didn't know know well enough that, you know, helped me pursue it, said, you know, go ahead and get it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was always encouraged to just follow your dream, follow your music path. And 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 had never had a thought in my head that it was a hard gig, you know? Um, <laughs> so... So like it's always kind of helped me in that respect that I was just like yeah this is what I do it's easy, um, and so you know from from uh, I grew up uh, went to high school in Maine and played jazz there and, and had a mentor through the high school and and really got me into you know John Coltrane and Miles Davis and yeah. Dizzy Gillespie and all those guys and that's where you know I really started cultivating my passion and then you know in such a weird place in Maine there was also this guy who built Calypso uh, steel drums. So I started learning all that side of, you know, the music world too. So it was like, even it was a small area, there was like such a culture there, which was crazy. Um, where in Maine was so all this? This was in uh, near Bangor. I don't know if you know where that oh, is. Oh, I know Bangor. Like, I, go to, I go to Mount Desert Isle every summer of my life. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was in uh, Blue Hill uh, was the school. Um, yeah. George Stevens Academy. So they got a really great arts program there. And so that that really helped kind of cultivate my musical, you know, knowledge and 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 wanting to be able to you know do this stuff for a living so um 
I always started recording my friends in our basement with just two tape decks going back and forth. And I uh, really got into like the, you know, the recording and production side of things. Um, so when I, when I got accepted to Berkeley, I decided to go for the music uh, production engineering um, degree as opposed to becoming a, a jazz drummer. <laughs> right. So, so I think that probably worked out for the best, but um, uh, you know, uh, while I was there, I started interning at studios and um, I interned at this hip hop studio. And at that time when like hip hop was really starting to become mainstream and I was really getting into it because I liked how they fused jazz and rap together. Yeah. Um, with the samples and stuff. So it was, it, it was really cool to me. So, you know, I started learning how to use MPCs and, and um, <clears throat> just the culture of, of hip hop music and all that. And so by the time I got out of Berkeley, I interned enough that I, I already had a, you know, a job at one of the local studios um, engineering, which was cool. So, yeah, well, that's cool. You know, I've had some great guests on from Boston and um, I'm always really struck by what a great music scene it is up there. You know, I, I joke about this often. I'm like, I, I always, you know, now I'm looking back, I'm like, why did I ever leave? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a funny town because it does have a great music scene, but it just never seems to leave the city. Right. Um, I mean, right now, at least in, in, you know, in the genres I work in with the hip hop and pop music stuff, like there's cousin Stiz who, who's on RCA now. He he's from Boston and there's a few other artists starting to pop off. So I'm really hoping that the city can, you know, start growing and, and really show, you know, what a great city it is musically and uh, culturally. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but, um, but yeah, I mean, with Berkeley there, there, and there's a good music scene, but like I said, it's just always seemed to like stay there for some reason. Right. What about new kids on the block? Come on. That's right. New kids. Yeah. I actually, <laughs> uh, Jordan back in the day when I was, when I was working down there. Nice. Well, all yeah. right. So, so you did the Berkeley thing and then did you just go like straight out to LA after that? No, so I did the Berkeley thing, and then I started working at at the studios in in uh, Boston. And and honestly, I thought I'd probably stay in Boston. I'd, I I always wanted to go to L.A., but I just there was some sort of fear in in getting out there. And and I had a good gig. I was I was like the chief engineer at this pretty big studio there, and and life was good. So you know why why change that? Um, but what happened was this kid named Sammy Adams came into the studio. And he had some tracks, and we we worked together and, and produced them and and recorded and mixed them and stuff, and then they released it, you know, just like any other independent record. And he had had this video that kind of went viral before the word viral was even around, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the college kids were really gravitating to his music. So when the um, when we released the the album on on uh, iTunes, it, it started like going up the charts. And like I, I was in the middle of a session and I got a call like, hey, that album you guys did is like number 10. And I'm like, holy smokes, that's crazy. Like, you know, we're like up there with Drake and DJ Khaled. Like, wow, like that's wild, you know? And then like two hours later, I got another call. It's like, hey, it's, it's like number three. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is insane, right? And then finally, like I got a, the session was almost over and like, the record's gone number one on iTunes. And wow. I'm like, this, this is totally insane. So, um, like my life changed with that record. And as soon as, as soon as it went number one, you know, the next day, like every label was calling, um, wondering who this independent artist that went number one on iTunes was. And they're calling so, you too, as the producer well, or the engineer? Yeah, they, were calling, they were calling the artist, Sammy, and, and he had like an independent label that he, that, that record was on, uh, first round records. So they were getting in touch with them. And then, um, sure enough, like three days later, they flew us all out to LA, um, to, you know, for Sammy and them to meet the labels, but they brought me along. Um, and we were at Conway studios and all this stuff and it was crazy. And so, 
I kind of like got this feeling like if if I was ever going to make a move to LA, like this is the way to go, you know? Yeah, totally. So I, I, you know, I got, I got involved with, I got a manager, I got a lawyer, I got all that stuff. And, and, um, the funny thing was though, is Sammy ended, ended up not signing. He said, decided to stay independent, but, um, I, I still moved out here and started, you know, getting in writing sessions more as a producer than an engineer and, and got to work on a bunch of stuff and I got to work on the Kelly Clarkson rec, which is actually kind of a funny story was this Kelly Clarkson song was already written. Um, but they they couldn't get it placed. So um, what happened is is my manager was managing one of the writers on the song, and they said he said you think you could reproduce this to 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 make it more hip and and get it placed. I said of course, like I was willing to do anything at that point. They're mm-hmm. like they'll take care of you on the back end if if it goes. I said okay, cool, you know. So I reproduced it, and, and sure enough, Sony took it. Um, but I never got taken care of on the back end. Uh. That's so rough, man. So I did get a shout out in Songwriter Magazine from from Ali, one of the writers, but but that was it. But you know, it was cool to be a part of it, and and that was like kind of my introduction to how things work in L.A. Um, so you know, through that and Sammy stuff, and I started developing this artist named Cam Meekins, um, who ended up signing with Atlantic, and um, it was funny because when I moved out, the 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 independent label had gotten some money. Uh, with the Sammy stuff. So they paid me pretty much for a year just to be the on-staff producer and engineer. And so my first year in LA was great, but then I was signing a publishing deal and I thought by by the time this money runs out, I'll have that going. So I'm good to go. Like I just stay around and make beats and, and write records and stuff. And sure enough, like the, one of the biggest lessons I learned is, you know, don't cash a check until it's in the bank. And, um, you know, depend, depending on other people, especially in Los Angeles, sometimes with the way the business is out here, isn't always your best idea. Like you should always have like, a, you know, be hustling other hustles in the music businesses, at least the way I see it. Yeah. So, so what happened was that, that, that publishing deal ended up taking way longer than, than the time I thought it would. And, you know, I went from like this, you know, great apartment living like the life in LA to like on my friend's in my friend's uh, kitchen on a blow-up mattress. Like, what happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, eventually the published deal came through and, 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 you know, I didn't pay my rent at my apartment. I kept paying the rent at my studio. So that shows you like, <laughs> like one where my priorities are at. Yeah, so totally. So I slept, on the, slept in the kitchen so I could keep my studio. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that came through and then um, I kept writing. I started working with this girl, LaKaylee47, who ended up signing to... Um, RCA? Yeah, she signed RCA. She's still doing great too. And, um, you know, after like three years of doing these writing sessions every day, I kind of got tired of it. And I also kind of came to like a fork in the road, if you will. Like I really, really like mixing and, 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 and being involved that way. But, but producing every day is, is, is draining one for me and two, like I was a good producer, but I wasn't a great producer. Right. And so, I had to kind of realize like I can keep fighting for these Rihanna records and maybe get like one record or two records a year, but it's going to be really hard to survive this way. So I, I decided I really want to get back into just doing mixing. So I started picking up clients, doing doing more so of that. And then um, I came to the realization that a lot of the studios were closing and, and the business was completely changing and everyone was recording at home. So my thought was, all these people are recording at home, but they have no, I mean, mixing takes years to learn, you know, they didn't really have much knowledge of how to mix their record. So 
I started this online company, MixandMasterMySong.com, which was like the most cheesy name you could think of. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, it's clear. But it's, it's clear, clear as a bell. And the, way, and the way Google works, it made it go like in the t- first page quicker. So that's why I called it that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but sure enough, you know, that started taking off and, and started getting clients from all around the world and and um, working on a lot of independent stuff and, and 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 it's taken off and it's been great and it's been some of the best years of my music career. Um, just, you know, I, I really like working with independent artists. I like working with the label stuff too, but the independent artists are just, uh, it's more fun. There's less politics. There's less people that you have to like get the mix signed off with. Yeah. Less back end. The check yeah, tends just to go straight from them to you. Right. It just stays creative. So, um, you know, I've been doing that and, and then, uh, uh, started the YouTube channel as well, which, you know, uh, was kind of my way of giving back because I'm just sitting, I built a studio in, in my house here in LA and I'm just sitting here alone. I have interns that come through once in a while, but you know, I learned from other people teaching me in the yeah. studios. So the YouTube channel was kind of a way to, you know, kind of give back and, and, and show the next generation, you know, uh, some techniques and stuff. So right on. Well, that's groovy, man. That's quite a journey to go from being number one on iTunes to, you know, number one on a on a mattress in somebody's <laughs> somebody's floor. Or I guess, you know, and, and it's interesting to hear you talk about like keep paying the studio rent, sleep on a mattress on a floor, because I, I have known people who've really done that. I mean, I've I've been out in LA before and been sleeping on the floor of the control room, you know, right. in, in a, a rental house or an apartment before. Um, you know, I, I met a guy there who was running a studio slash selling equipment out of it and sleeping on a mattress in the corner of the control room. And it's a lot more common out there than you would expect at times. You know, I think you have to really be committed um, in that kind of environment to making it work and and being willing to kind of do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's holy. I mean, you know, like for me, without music, there's no life. So, you know, this is all I know. This is all I do. I don't know how to do anything else. I mean, so for me, it's it's just a logical uh, idea is to keep your studio and figure out the sleeping stuff afterwards, you know? Yeah. So, so <laughs> as long as I have the studio, I can work and, and make more money and then hopefully get, you know, an apartment again and all that. Like I said, it all worked out well. Um, but But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people, I think, want to be producers or mixers or artists and see all the limelight stuff. But like this, this, this game is is a serious grind, and you got to like have a crazy passion for it. Um, otherwise, it's just it's it's going to be tough. You know what I mean? Like it's it's got to be like breath for you in a way. You know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I imagine you've met a lot of people out there that were um, sort of inspirations for you and then when you get closer and you, you begin to see how things are done you're like man this guy's just working you know his ass off on producing or making beats or mixing and like um did, yeah. did you discover that a lot of people are putting in all the hard work and like kind of like songwriting most of it is just scattered to the wind and it's just occasionally that those those big items can can creep through and get noticed yeah so like as a, as a songwriter out here like um it's a tough gig. I mean, you seriously, you, you know, like your publisher connects with another publisher and puts you in, in another person in the studio. And your, your, your goal every day is to write a song. So you're literally like writing 300 songs plus a year. Wow. And, and, then, and then maybe like one, two, three, unless you're like an A-lister, maybe you get more, but get placed. 
You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like, it, it's like, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, a lot of work and, and, and only a few songs get through. So, you know, it's a grind. And so if you don't like, I didn't passionately love songwriting. So that's why I only lasted like kind of like three years in that world. Um, I passionately love mixing and taking a song that sounds good and making it great. You know, like I can do that every day of the week, every day of the year and be completely happy. So yeah, that's well, why I say it's like, you know, if you're into this stuff, then make sure that's what you love no matter what. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, sometimes you don't know until you try a few things. So, so it's important right, to like exactly. let yourself fail through some of those. But let's talk about songwriting for a sec. In Nashville, yeah. songwriting could mean you show up and it's two people with an acoustic guitar in a room. Um, did you study songwriting when you were at Berkeley as well? I did. I, I didn't necessarily song, study songwriting, but I studied... Um, I studied um, theory and all that stuff, so I, you know, knew how to write music. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't take almost, a class with uh, with Pat Patterson, the teacher. No, at, no, at no, 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 no. Yeah. I was almost more, I guess, you consider more of a beat maker than an actual songwriter. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it would be me with like a hundred different beats, and 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 the top liner or the, the singer and writer would come in, and we would do a song together, and we go through some beats, or maybe start something from scratch, and then kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. So I've never been much of a lyric writer. I've been more of the kind of the music guy. Yeah. Does the top liner typically do the lyrics as well as the melody? Or is it sort of like somebody sort of thinks melody and somebody else thinks lyrics? So, you know, maybe maybe think, give us a little of an education on that kind of writing scene. Just keep going with it. Yeah. No, for sure. So I think it kind of, first of all, depends on who who maybe is the producer, the music writer, and who is the, the top liner. Some producers write melodies and and lyrics. Um, some guys like me just make beats and I'm not much of a melody lyric guy. Um, so it, it kind of varies from session to session. Um, usually the, the top liner can, can sing somewhat well and write lyrics. So they'll write the melody and the lyrics. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of depends on who's going to be the producer and who's going to be the writer and all that stuff. Right on, man. Um, so talk a little bit more about that process of, um, you know, a writing session, you go in, you meet with somebody. Is it, uh, how often is it somebody you've never written with before? How often is it somebody that you've written with a, a lot of times? And what is, yeah. what does a day look like for you? Yeah. So we'd usually get in the studio around one o'clock and, you know, as you start doing more of the sessions, the, the publishers put you together with different people. And so as you start doing more sessions, you find some people that you work really well with, some people you just don't. And so after that, like I started building with a couple different people uh, that we had a good energy together. And so then you would just kind of book your own sessions together. You know, publisher would call, hey, we got someone. I'm like, actually, I'm already working with uh, Dwayne today. So you don't need to, like, we're good for the next week. Right. Um, so a lot of that works like that. And you build, you know, start building relationships with different writers um, who you gel with. And so then, then you get in the studio and you start becoming friends and it makes it a lot easier to write because there's nothing more awkward than someone you don't know walking into a studio and you guys have to write a song. Yeah, why, why, <laughs> like, why is that awkward? Is it because songwriting, good songwriting involves being vulnerable or something like that? Or is, it, is there more to it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot to do with it. And I think as musicians and artists and producers, I think we're all like a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, nervous or, you know, not sure about our, our skills or like, is this guy way better than me or whatnot? Um, there's some of that involved. There's some of this, like, you know, are they going to like my music stuff? Yeah. 
And so, you know, when, when it's one thing just to get to know someone can be tough, especially for me. I'm like mostly an introvert, but I can be an extrovert sometimes. But, right. um, you know, it's just getting to know someone, first of all, is, is kind of a, a new thing for a lot of people. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to get to know each other and write a song together, um, which is, you know, an emotional thing. It's an emotional connection is writing a song. So to get into some sort of emotional groove with somebody within 20 minutes is, this can be weird, you know? Um, <laughs> yes. So, Describing it that way, it does sound pretty weird, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, that's what, what was great is once you got to know people, you start working with them more often and, and then you already know each other's vibe and it, it can work a lot better. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so then you might focus on the studio aspect and the beats and stuff like that. And the person you might be writing with is somebody who's more of like a singer who's going get, to get on the mic and that kind of thing. Yeah, so... So we find a beat or something that works, like you know, we go through like five, ten beats. Like, hey, I really like that. I think I could feel something for that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then usually what happens is they'll go into the studio and start just kind of scatting um, different melody ideas, and and maybe lyrics will start coming to that. But a lot of times we the the top liner would just kind of scat a melody for either the hook or the verse, whatever we might be working on, and then come back into the in the control room and start writing lyrics based upon that melody. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, and then so so then from there, um, we'd start going back in and, and adding like the main lead vocal and then add doubles and any harmonies, depending on what kind of song it is. Um, it's to just start building the song from there. And then I might add a couple more, you know, keyboard parts or something. And after we get a good skeleton together, I'll start kind of mixing at the same time. Not full mix, but enough to make it sound like a hit, you know? And um, yeah, put it all together, and then hopefully by the end of the day, we have something that you know sounds halfway decent that we could maybe hear an artist on. Now, would you and, always would you typically turn in what happened that day as the final mix, or is is it typical to come back and revisit it and turn it in? You know, a week later. Usually, like, like the top, usually the top line would leave after the day, and then as like the producer, I'd probably keep working on it for another day or two. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you just kind of have them in the file. So when you go to A and R meetings, or your manager comes by, be like, "Hey, we got these records. I think you know it might work for this artist." Um, and then you know I have stuff to play so that they can you know see if it works for any of their artists. And a lot of times we get like every week we get, uh, or maybe it was every month we get a sheet sent out of who's working on albums, who needs songs, what they're looking for. And so sometimes we would you know write based upon, "Hey, this artist is looking for this kind of sound." Um, sometimes we would just write a song and not worry about all that stuff. So, okay, this is really cool stuff. So, uh, it's kind of cool to hear you break down this session a little bit. Um, you know, if you're starting a writing day, uh, I imagine you have to sort of have your beats ready as possibilities, um, something to start with and sort of inspire who, who you're working with as a top liner. Um, what other things? make you feel like you're ready for a writing day as the, as the producer end of this, this co-writing session? Yeah, I mean, so I would, you know, whenever I'm not in writing sessions, I'd be making beats. So I just have a ton of different tracks. You know, I'd go with different ideas. I might be like, oh, I could work on something for this artist or that artist. And I just start building different kinds of beats. Some might be a scratch beat. Some might be fully kind of produced. And then that way, when the artist comes, we can, you know, be like, okay, you know, want to write for this artist. And I'll have a set of beats, be like, oh, this might work. We can go through those. So that's usually kind of how that process would work. Um, 
that you know just just so I have a bunch of tracks ready to go. So we're not sitting yeah. around there trying to figure out piano chords and all that stuff. Right, right. So you can just it's almost like the experience that somebody has, you know, when they get a new laptop and they open up GarageBand, they can just pull a loop over from the side and it's like, oh, that sounds like music, you know. It's like right. having that, you know, having your original versions of something that that is instantaneous that puts you in a vibe and a and a space and is cool and inspiring, right? Yeah, and and you know a lot of the music I'm doing is like you know more popular music, pop music, hip hop, R and B stuff. So it's so rhythm based that the drums really have to be important uh, in in order for you to move to the song. So having all that ready, and then you put on a beat that's just really hitting hard, like that can get you in the in the in the zone to start writing a song with that music. You know? Yeah, dig it. And then um, you know you you gotta probably have to have a mic ready to go for for the singer, right? Do you? set up a mic for sessions or is your studio, is is the smart move to have a studio where there's always just a mic ready to go and, and like a dedicated vocal booth? Um, so yeah, I had a studio that was pretty small, control room and uh, a small booth. And the mic was already, there was only one mic in the studio. It was already set up to the pre. So, I mean, all you have to put, you know, Pro Tools and record and you're ready to go. So, you know, a lot of the writing rooms or just studios in general out here, uh, you always just have a mic ready to go so that, you know, the ideas come and you can get right in the booth. You don't have to sit around and be like, let's try this 251 on your voice. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. You know, yeah. definitely. I'm, I just shout out 20 mics for my own record and because I could, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but so here's a, here's maybe, a, maybe it's a good question. Maybe it's a dumb one, but um, vocal booth for studio. What are some things that you don't want to do with your vocal booth? To to you know have a really great session, and what are some things you do want to do with your vocal booth for it to be a great experience for whoever's going to be in there? I do you mean acoustics wise, or just you, you tell wise? me? You tell me, man. Whatever, whatever you, I however you, you want to answer thing, that. Just just by doing a lot of mixing for independent artists now, you got to have a dead room because uh, a lot of these guys, a lot of people recording at home and don't realize how the to me the room is more important than the mic or the gear you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're in a room with a bunch of hard surfaces, it's going to sound horrible and you can't get that sound out of there unless it's intentionally done, you know? Um, but but so that, I mean, the, uh, from acoustics perspective, I always say, I mean, I like a dead room anyway, so maybe that's my perspective too, but yeah. um, try to go with a deader room than a, a liver room for vocals. Any any tips um, on how to make a, a proper dead room for that? I mean, are there, are there things you can... That people do typically that actually messes up their vocal sound, not realizing that they did the dead room wrong. Um, shoot, I don't know. Or is, it, or is it simpler than that? You know? Yeah, I mean, I might not be the acoustic guy to to, to ask that question, but I always tell um, I think Owens Corning seven hundred three is a, a sort of insulation that you can you can you can buy yeah. from like commercial store, yeah. commercial uh, construction company, and and you can make panels. Go on YouTube, you'll learn how to do it. You can make a bunch of panels, and that can help, you know, make the room sound dead uh, pretty quickly. And then a lot of people just recording at home. I'm like, record in your bedroom, or record where there's a carpet and there's a bed and there's a couch, or there's a ton of like softer surfaces, um, as opposed to like recording in a kitchen or something like that. Yeah, totally. Because um, I mean, sometimes we don't think about that, and you know, until you've had the experience and you've, you know, you tried to mix the stuff later, and you're like, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah, it's like you're using D-verb and all these other weird plugins to try to get the room out of there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I always say try to go for a, a deader room. Um, that will definitely help you out in the long run. 
And then as far as vibe goes, we never really did much for the vibe. Maybe I should have, um, but maybe a couple candles or something might be nice. You know, maybe, um, maybe, maybe that's the lesson is it's like, that's not as important as just having an inspiring track, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the music's usually just so inspirational. I don't think, especially people that do this every single day, all that doesn't matter. It's like, oh, I'm going to get in the booth and kill this right now. Like that's all the inspiration. Right, right, right. Totally. Well, I do remember, um, I think it was Carl Napa was talking about recording Nelly and setting up a studio with him. Uh, in a house, and they basically put the vocal mic in the closet so that all the clothes were hanging there on either side yeah. of the mic, and that was like a good deadener. Um, and that may actually be a good like bass trap at the same time too, because it's so deep, you know. Yeah, for sure. I tell artists all the time, I'm like, go in your closet and record. That's like the best place you could be. It might be a little toasty if you're there yeah, in the yeah. summer. Definitely in Nashville. <laughs> I did a mic shootout for my vocals in the studio and tried 20 different microphones from the Shure SM7 to a vintage Neumann U67, but was impressed that my favorite of all was the Roswell Pro Audio Delphos 2 large diaphragm condenser. Handcrafted in California, Roswell Mics brings you inspired design and attention to detail to help you capture a gorgeous vintage sound without the vintage price tag. Check out their beautiful microphones, including the Mini K47 for only $349 at Roswell Pro audio.com okay cool man so tell us a little bit more about your studio setup um one of the things i know from your channel is you kind of uh you know very publicly switched from pro tools over to studio one and and got like a studio live console going i don't know if those are the tools that you still use or not but we'd love to just hear more about like what's your setup what, what works well for you yeah, no, I'm I'm a huge, huge fan of Studio One. Um, I started, you know, Pro Tools. I got annoyed with Pro Tools like three, four years ago. I just saw like all these other cool things that the other dolls were doing, and Pro Tools just wasn't updating, and it still looked like a 1980s computer processor. Uh-huh. So, so I, I started messing around with some other dolls just to see what was out there, really. And um, I came upon Studio One. And started messing with it, and and they have like a keyboard shortcut button you can click to switch it to Pro Tools, so the whole thing works like Pro Tools. Right. Um, for me, because I'd worked on Pro Tools for ten years, trying to learn a whole new set of shortcuts would have been a disaster. But I was able to like get up and running with Studio One in like two days. Really? And, so it's, that's that's encouraging to hear because I've played around with different DAWs, and when I see that that like use use the Pro Tools key commands, I'm yeah. intrigued by it. But I was always like, oh, maybe I should learn it. The, the default way instead of trying to customize it too much. So it's cool to hear you say that it's totally cool to just switch it into Pro Tools mode and start learning from there. Yeah, no, it worked great. Like They had that in Logic too, but it doesn't seem to work quite as well as it did with Studio One. Um, and there's just so much, so like, you know, Melodyne, for for instance, in Pro Tools, you have to like really real-time transfer vocals into Melodyne. Then tune them and then it, then convert it back if you need to do any editing with a vocal so it's a it's a really like three step annoying process just to tune a vocal in right. pro tools studio one you just double click and say open with melodyne and it's already processed ready to go you can start tuning notes you can still edit vocals while it's with the melodyne um so it was things like that you know i mix uh, a song or two a day so for my workload i, I need like to just have all the technical stuff happen as quick as possible so I'm not sitting there like doing mundane things like transferring vocals. Yeah, um, totally. I, I'm very familiar with that process. 
I'm still yeah, doing so, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And honestly, I mean, like I, I, I say I'm totally studio one, but I still mix in Pro Tools probably about 50% of the time just because that's still the standard. So it's not like I'm only in Studio One. But whenever I get stems, 99% of the time, I'm going to open them in Studio One. Um, and then there's just, you know, like uh, tr the way you can drag, you know, six inserts at a time over to another track with one click. Um, mm -hmm. Being able to move inserts back and forth without having to slide the whole chain down. Um uh, being able to add more than what ten inserts on a track—not that you necessarily need to do that a lot—but right. just having the option to move things around so much easier. Yeah, plug-in um, chains and things like that. Yeah, too. all of that stuff. You could save them, and 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 um, and you know, some of this stuff's been updated in Pro Tools since I switched, but it just for a workflow-wise, it just worked a lot better for me. So that's. That was kind of why I started using Pro uh, Studio One more than Pro Tools. Now, let me ask you this: um, Do you do a lot of editing in Studio One as well? Is that something that you were quickly able to figure out how to do what you knew how to do with editing in Pro Tools, but now do it in Studio One, or did you, or is that is it more of the mix stage? Yeah, so that was a little bit of the learning curve. Studio, I, I still say Pro Tools has the edge when it comes to editing, mm -hmm. um, but I've I've learned ways and figured out different things in, in order to, to be able to edit in Studio One just as fast as I can in Pro Tools now. And um, even like, so, you know, like Pro Tools has Audio Suite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or if you're doing vocal line or any of that stuff, and it works pretty well. So Studio One has the same thing, but they call it event effects. And what's cool about Studio One is, say you can do a vocal line, but it's not destructive. Like you don't have to drag the tracks back in if you need to change it or something. Mm -hmm. And then you can just hit process and then it will process it, but you can undo that too. So, you know, like their audio suite, like it took me a while because I, I would edit a bunch of vocals and then vocal line, I'm like, oh man, I get, you'd have to process each little piece of track at, this, at, at a time. Yeah. But, but they have uh, these things called macros in Studio One where you can automate processes. So I was able to have it so it would turn all the plugins off, process all the files on that track, and then turn all the plugins in uh, back on again because it processes uh, faster with no plugins on. Interesting, um, yeah. So, so now, like, using some of these macros, I've found better ways than, than Pro Tools editing. So um, I'd say it's like Pro Tools has like a 10% edge on Studio One, at least for me at this point, as far as editing goes. Um, but there's still some things I miss in Pro Tools. Like they still haven't gotten like the tape stop thing in audio suite format in Studio One. Um, right, right. That's one of the bigger things that I really miss. I, I can do it. I have to use a plugin to do it though. Um, like I and I miss some of the plugins like Lo-Fi <laughs> and some other and some other plugins that I, I really like using. But I found kind of similar things. Um, in Studio One to to the those plugins when I need them. Well, that's cool. That's cool to hear that. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the mixing process in Studio One that you dig. So, for example, um, what are some things that work well as far as automation? Um, automation is is just about the same as in um, Studio uh, as in Pro Tools. So that's that's not a problem. The the one thing like that's actually another one that I miss is the uh, the trim the trim tool. Is that what they call it in Pro Tools? Yeah, right. Yeah, so you have to actually like break. You can trim stuff up and down in Studio One, but you have to like break the regions to do it. <clears throat> oh, interesting. Um, so you sort of like edit the audio behind it, and then you can just bring the line up and down for that. 
that section. Yeah, exactly. But I did realize, like, I actually just found this out the other day. I can use this plugin called Mix Tool, which is just like a really just a gain knob um, mm-hmm. plugin. And so now I just put that in and automate that up and down. Um, and it works just like, you know, the, the trim tool. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So, um, and then do you do composition in, in Studio One as well? If you're going to like start with beats and, and start a writing session, is that, would that be the thing you might use? Yeah. You know what? I haven't made a beat in about three years. So is that um, just because you made so many or is it because now you're doing a lot more mixing and stuff? I'm just mixing so much that I, I have no time, um, to make beats, which is, is good and bad. Um, every once in a while, I like to pull out some of the drum machines and stuff and mess around, but like I haven't done any production seriously in, in about three years. Okay, dig it. So, but I do know a lot of producers that use Studio One for production and they love it. So, if you're into production, that's definitely um, might be a doll to look at. Well, I know that in a similar way to like Logic, for example, you can drag from the the you know the browser over on the right. You can drag loops over and start building stuff. Um, I think the MIDI functionality is is right on. Um, and yeah. easy to use and stuff like that. So, you know, really it's, uh, in the end, you just got to jump in and start doing stuff. I always found the best way to learn something new is to just f- jump in with both feet and force you, like you got something that you have to finish and get right. And you're just gonna, you're stuck doing it and you, and you're on a time crunch too. That helps. Yeah. That's what I did with studio one. I just started mixing with it. I was like, I'm just going to mix a song in here and this is, you know, whatever happens happens, you know? And, and, and that's how I started figuring out how to use a new DAW, you know? Yeah. And then it's cool that you can, I think you can assign quick keys for things and sort of build your own key commands as well for the keyboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eventually after, you know, I'd, I'd had all my Pro Tools commands already set and now I've been, you know, I've added throughout the years, um, different things that, you know, are kind of studio specific and I have my own key commands that you can customize with that. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely, um, can relate to all that. I have more DAWs, you know, in my collection than I know what to do with. And <laughs> and I feel like I need to just sort of like keep learning them all, you know, because I, I have a good reason to want to be able to use any of them. And it's, you know, sometimes, I mean, you must get mixes in from clients, projects um, that come in where it's like, you know, they might send you a Studio One project and they might send you a Logic project. Um, is that yeah. part of your mixing workflow? Yeah, for sure. I, I try to have all the DAWs too and 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 kind of know how to use them because I think that's important, especially for someone, you know, like what I do or um, it, the, being able to see the session. So backtrack just a little bit there. So every, as far as mixing goes nowadays, everyone like is totally in love with their rough mix, right? Right. So you have to really respect that rough mix. You can't just, it's not just like the old days where, you know, faders up and let me do my thing. It's like, they worked on this song for like four months or however long they worked on it. And a lot of the stuff that 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 people might consider mixing is is also production now too. Mm-hmm. So you got to be really respectful of someone's rough mix. So a lot of times I'll tell them just to send me the session as is. Or if you're going to export the stems, like I don't have Ableton. So if you're going to export the stems, export it just as you have it now with all your plugins on and everything. And then export me a set dry without any of the plugins. Um, and I want to start where you left off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because because that's that's all like that's the song. Like uh, you take all the plugins off a lot of songs now, and it's a completely different song. Right. So, that's true. That's true. So a lot of times, if it's Logic, I have Logic here. Cubase, I have here. 
Um, if it's one of those programs or studio one approaches, I'm like, just send me the session and I'll take care of it from there. And then I can go through and be like, I like this. I don't need this. I can do this better and take certain plugins on and off. And and then, you know, just export the stems, put it in Studio One or keep it in Pro Tools or whatever I am. So um, so one of the things that sounds, all, you know, that might make people nervous is the thought about like, uh, if, you know, if somebody sends me in a mix, I really want them to have, to give me the least amount of work to do on it. Um, and you think about opening somebody's session, you're like, oh, what a mess that's, that might be. What what have you learned about making sure they send you a session, but it's not a total mess and disaster? And how do you like advise your 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 people who are sending you something to mix? I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, sometimes they come and they're pristine and perfect, and sometimes they come like they've been through the through a bar fight or something. I right. don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough question. You know, <clears throat> I usually just say send it, and I'll figure it out. Um, I've gotten pretty fast at being able to kind of decipher what I like and don't like in a session. Yeah. And so I just kind of work through it and, 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 um, you know, I try to tell them to clean up the vocals and, and, and have, you know, have like, I got a session the other day where the artist had kind of recorded each like four bars on a different track. So I had to like <sighs> go through yeah. and like comp the whole thing. So like stuff like that, I'll try to get people to go and do, but, um, you know, a lot of people are just being creative and not so worked up with the technology side and are still writing great songs. So it's like, it's kind of like, in, in my eyes at least, uh, the engineer's job is a lot, a lot more than it used to be. You know, we have to be, you know, almost producers and engineers and, and you know, have to go and clean up the mess sometimes to make the song come to life. So, it kind of depends. If, if people can send it in, in a good condition, that's great. If not, I'll, I'll work with what I get, you know? Yeah, well, that's. I think that's good advice. It's like, don't uh, you, you don't want to mess up the creative process on its way to you. You just want yeah. to empower. Um, but what about on your end? So, like, let's say you're trying to accommodate anybody. What have you learned about... Um, how do you manage the fact that you know one one client might take you many hours of getting it ready before you can even start your mix process versus another client who sends you something that's like really ready to go? You got any tips for the rock stars about that? A lot of times, it's just kind of like a yin and yang thing for me. It's like some sessions will come and it'll be like the easiest mix ever, and then some sessions will come and it's going to be like a, a good amount of work. So to me, it all kind of balances out in the end. I got some songs that are like a layup to mix, like oh, this is a breeze and some songs are really going to work. So it all kind of equals out throughout the week for me. Um, you know, I just, it, to me, it's whatever it takes. If it takes a lot of work to get the song right, then that's what it's going to take. If it takes, you know, I mean, so, some mixes come so good um, that it takes like like an hour and a half and I have the song done. Like there's, uh, it, you know, there's a, there's a big difference in, in, in doing engineering and mixing for a long time is, is kind of knowing when to touch something and when not to touch something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so some some guys are really good mixers and just want the last ten percent from me, and so you know if I get those those songs, I just touch a few things and I bounce it. Like I'm not going to mess up the vibe, you know, just so I can like throw on my newest UAD plugin and <laughs> show them how good it works. You know, it's like I've, I've never done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, uh, you know, it's just a, it's about knowing what to touch and not what to touch and. And knowing when you got to go in and really like make this song come to life, you know. But 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 
I've got a really cool new UAD plug-in. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> Actually, we're all guilty. We're I'm, all I'm guilty. embarrassed Trust. to say I don't have any UAD plugins at all, but I but I definitely have other new plugins. Where I'm like, oh, I got to try that out. And then yeah, you're so yeah. right; it's not always a good choice. I'm guilty. I have one client that I've worked with for years, and he's always my guinea pig with new techniques and stuff. And he knows <laughs> that so like you can always tell like when I like found some new new thing that I'm going crazy on. We won't mention your name on the podcast. Yeah, yeah that's right. All right, dig it. Um, well, so now I know I saw a video. I, so I actually met you before um, you met me. So you, you I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, but you had reached out and connected with me and uh, and I already know who you were because when I was getting ready for my Bonnaroo Hay Bale studio and I was learning, um, looking for and learning you know, more tips and techniques to use with the studio live console from PreSonus, um, I stumbled on your video where you were talking about all this stuff. So yep. tell us about the the console and how does that integrate in your studio and what what should the rock stars know about like integrating a digital console like Studio Live, the benefits, the drawbacks, like where do you need it, where do you not need it, that kind of stuff. So I never actually had the Studio uh, Live console, but I did have the PreSonus fader port. Oh, that's what it was. Maybe it was fader yeah. port then. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but in, 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 so I've had a journey with that. So I went through this kind of phase where I was like, man, like I, I, I hear the record so much better when I'm not looking at the screen, right? Mm-hmm. So I went through this phase of trying to find like a controller or something that could kind of pull me away from the screen. And it started with a Slate Raven, which um, I was still a screen, but it was kind of a different kind of rea- uh, interaction with a screen. And that didn't really work for me. It was just still lots of screen. And then I got the fader port 8 um, with the faders and the soft tube console 1. And so that started working well. But, you know, the more and more I was trying to, like, look away from the screen, uh, the more kind of disconnected I was with the song. And it's kind of a a weird way of going about it. But what, what would happen is, you know, like, you're like, oh, I got to turn that down. So let me look down away from the screen and find that fader and turn it down. And so it was like this weird disconnect that, you know, looking at the screen and then not looking at the screen. So after like tons of different, trying out all these different interfaces and, and things, I've narrowed it down to just a single fader port. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and understanding that you can't really mix these days without looking away from the screen, um, just in, in order to just keep your flow going. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, I've I've kind of gotten to the point where I, I got this monitor that is low enough that I can when I look up I look over it and I can listen to the mix without really looking at the screen, but then you know be back in the flow when I'm when I'm working with you know compressing something or whatever I'm doing. Right on. Is that are you using a Raven setup or something like that? I did. I got rid of the Raven. I just have this um I, this LG screen that is one of the widescreen ones, so it's it's nice and long, which is cool. But the profile is kind of low. Okay, um, dig. Yeah, so like I can see my NS10s over it now. Um, That's cool, man. Is, yeah. All right. So, so the the fader port means you've got a fader to use, and so all you really have to do is, you know, you look at the screen and make sure you're on the right track, and then you can close your eyes with the fader for a minute and listen and move it, you know, up or down yeah. or whatever. That's why I like the single fader port because I can click if I'm on a track, I can grab the fader and bring it up or down while I'm on the track. And 
Whereas like if you have the eight or the 16, it's like you don't know which fader you're on and you're like digging around for which fader it is. Um, and then, you know, the mute and the stop and play and, and the click I use a lot. Um, all those buttons are on just the single fader port. And it, it makes a really great kind of control service to work with that's not, you know, overwhelming or throws off your flow. That's cool, man. I like that. That's a, an interesting way to think of it. It's like simplify that tool that's helping you out with your your you know interface with your computer so that it doesn't make things more complicated but makes it less complicated. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with doing YouTube videos because like I'm on a journey just like everyone else that's looking at YouTube videos um trying to get the best sound or the best workflow for myself, you know? And just so it happens that I actually like talk about it on YouTube. <laughs> right. So so I've actually got like emails from guys like, I can't believe you sold this piece of gear. Like I got this because you talked about it and now you don't even have it anymore. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm sorry. Like this is just my journey, you know, like this you know, <laughs> just, just throwing it on video. I'm like, get what you think is going to work for you and try it. And if you don't like it, sell it. Like it's it's so easy to sell gear now. I mean it's it's cheaper than running. You can buy a piece of gear, try it out, see if it works in your workflow and then sell it for like maybe three or four hundred dollar loss which is a lot cheaper than renting a piece of gear for a week. So, um, you know, I, that's, that's kind of how I, 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 I keep growing and learning new things and, and trying different stuff. All right, so. dig it, man. Well, we're going to take a break now for the jam session. And when we come back in, we're going to dig deep into mixing and mastering and just talk about more of the specifics about, uh, you know, basically how you can up your mastering and mixing game in your studio, Rockstars. Um, and reminder, I've got a, a video playlist of um, Maddie's great work in the show notes. So just click through if you're on your mobile device or, or uh, on the website, and you can go check that out. And we'll see you in just a minute. The Spectra 1964 model was created by the missile engineers who are central in rolling out the systems that have protected the free world for over half a century. The extremely stable high circuit design of the 101 amplifier provides unequaled headroom, low noise, and linear output, irrespective of transient audio peaks, giving you clearer, punchier, dynamic recordings. During the height of record making, the 101 preamp was the perfect choice to build consoles for Tom Dowd, Muscle Shoals, Stack Studios, Ardent Studios, and New York City record plant, bringing you the sounds of ZZ Top, Aerosmith, Bruce Springsteen, King Crimson, John Lennon, and so many more. The Spectra 1964 legacy is carried on today through Bill Cheney and Jim Romney. Now you can get that same sound in your studio with the STX100 Mic Pre and STX500 EQ. Add the Cinemag Transformer BBDI and the C610 Complimeter, and you can have a truly awesome sound. Go to Spectra1964.com to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. Are you using a Mac in your recording studio? Are you tired of feeling like the studio setup you worked so hard to create is becoming obsolete too quickly? Wouldn't it feel great to have a trusted friend to help you keep your existing Mac and studio setup current and relevant so that you can focus on the thing you love most, which is making great music? Well, now you can rely on OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, whose mission it is to help you get the most mileage out of your Mac. Whether you need to upgrade your RAM, install an SSD, add more connectivity, or simply find a great used Mac that's ready to rock, OWC will help take your 
studio far into the future with a vast library of DIY install videos, 24-7 friendly support, and free shipping in the U.S. on most items over $49. Why get frustrated and ditch your existing computer when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. It was 1971 in a New York City basement when Eventide revolutionized the audio world by introducing the world's first studio effects processor, the Instant Phaser, and the first digital effect, the H910 Harmonizer. Eventide soon followed with the Instant Flanger, Omnipressor, SP2016 Reverb, and H949 and H3000 Harmonizers, which have been favorites of A-list mixers like Michael Brower, Joe Ciccarelli, Mick Kozowski, and Dave and heard on countless hit records over the decades. Today, Eventide brings all that sound to your stage and studio with modern solutions like the H9000 Harmonizer, their complete line of guitar pedals, including the versatile H9 Max, and transformative plugins like Micropitch, Physion, Black Hole, and Mangled Reverb. Take your next mix in your studio to a whole new level. Go to eventide.com or click the link in the show notes below. Are you sick of bothering family and neighbors when you're just trying to rehearse or record your music? Do outside noises or computer fans get into your studio mics and ruin your recordings? You could book a pro studio to record every time, but that would add up quickly, and doing permanent construction to soundproof your studio can easily cost up to $100,000 or more. Trust me, I know. And you can't take that with you when you eventually move the studio. Don't you wish there was an easy solution right now? Whisperoom Isobooths offers a simple way to install a comfortable, quiet, ventilated ISO booth in your studio with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums in a variety of sizes. For 30 years, Whisperoom has been solving studio isolation needs worldwide with ISO booths that are shippable, portable, and can be assembled in an afternoon. Now you can get pro vocal recordings right in your home studio, practice whenever you want, and start using real guitar amps again. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booths when you mention Recording Studio Rockstars at whisperroom.com or click the link in the show notes below. Hey, Rockstars, we're back now for the jam session. My guest today is Maddie Harris joining us from LA, even though we're a couple of brothers from Boston originally. And um, we're going to dig into some mastering, some mixing details, and really start getting down into the weeds here. So you ready to jam, dude? Let's do it, man. All right, cool, man. So, um, you know, you were kind of describing your studio to us. You've got the uh, the or you, I guess you had the um, soft tube interface. You've got the the one fader there for for doing some uh, fader moves, and you're mixing often in Studio One. Is what you're looking at up on the screen? Yeah. So I'm usually using Studio One or Pro Tools, but Studio One if I have the preference. I actually still do have the soft tube console one. Um, that I don't use on every mix, but I, I like actually the saturation it has on it. Um, and then, so I also have a bit of a, a hybrid setup. And I have SSL Sigma, which is a summing, um, a summing amp, what do you call it? Summing, a summer? Summer, and, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, an SSL compressor that I use from time to time. So I have that like a, kind of on my left bay. And, and actually a set of uh, 1073 pre's that I run drums through. And nice. then so that's like my mixing bay. And then on my 
other side is my mastering bay, which um, I have uh, a dangerous back CQ and um, uh, a better maker uh, mastering EQ and a better maker mastering limiter. Um, and then it all comes back into the computer from from the analog side through uh, a convert AD plus the dangerous um, uh, A to D. Right, which is so, in that case, you really only need two two outputs, two inputs, right? So you can, um, yeah, you can you can it, sort of like put your money into higher quality for less inputs and outputs, right? Yeah, the convert AD is just two inputs, but going out, it goes through. A, I actually forgot. It's, I got a Symphony um, MK2 um, IO, so okay, that cool. actually sends everything to the summer or you know wherever it's going, depending. Um, so that's basically the setup. Now, uh, some days, some days I stay completely in the box. Some days I'll go out of the box. Um, it really depends. It's funny, man. Everything, just, these plugins just start sounding better and better. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I honestly think I'm the only one who might notice the difference between my in-the-box and out-the-box mixes. Oh, I definitely know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I pay attention to these small details and then I'll show it to somebody else and they're like, I, they both sound identical to me, you know, and you realize that it's like, it's easy for us to get so deep into the weeds on, on uh, what we think is the difference on stuff that sometimes we're missing the big picture, which is like, what does everybody yeah. else think, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I honestly, like, I, I, I did this test the other week where I was like, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to do it in the box mix for a client that I've always done out of the box mixes. And I sent it and they're like, nailed it. Great. Thanks, man. And so it's like, the whole like analog versus digital argument, I think, is is over and done with. I mean, just whatever tools you got are the tools you got, and um, you know, most most of the big guys out here are mostly mixing in the box now. They'll be sitting in front of a huge SSL, but the mix is all in the box. Yeah, um, you know, it's the the, the kind of I, I feel like the days of analog are slowly um, heading on out. But well, you know, well, you know, and they're not, changing. Not the changes. Yeah, the changes. So it's like, and, in other words, there's so much that can happen now in the box for mixing. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know that that excludes analog everywhere, but but that's certainly, um, yeah. might as well take advantage of the power of what you can do in your computer if it, if it works, you know? 100%. And I actually do have to say, before I made that comment, that analog definitely matters still when you're recording. So. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Totally. Yeah, fair <laughs> you enough. You can mix the box, but you need some, like, the high-end stuff makes a huge difference between a bad mix and a great mix. Yeah. All right. So, um, so we can stick to mixing in the box for for our conversation now. Just since so many of the rock stars who are listening right now are all going to be, you know, with a, with some sort of a DAW and mixing in the box, most likely that's for sort of the most common template for people. Um, right. I know. I know that you had done some cool stuff on your YouTube channel where you're talking about like, um, you know, narrowing it down to like five plugins that you might need for mixing. What do you want to say about that? I mean, I don't know if you want to be that specific, but you know, how would you encourage the Roxos to understand what's really needed and valuable in terms of uh, thinking about the plugins they might want to use uh, in a mix situation? Yeah, you know that that came up from um. I every once in a while I'll Skype with people who are just trying to learn how to mixing and, and just want to you know maybe not need a mix from me, but just want to pick my brain about things. And I kept coming up with this like. People were like, well, which plugin should I use? Which plugin should I use? And I was like, man, like with all these plugins coming out and all this gear and all the advertising we get, um, I think sometimes we're losing touch on what we're actually doing, which is mixing a song and not, you know, doing a science experiment. 
Right. So, so like, um, you know, it's, it's, it, we can get really overloaded and, 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 and like Manny Mariquin, he's a big mixer out here and I'm sure most people know who he is. Yeah. He talks a lot about like the left brain and the right brain and, and how engineers have the hardest job in the world because we have to use both brains at the same time. And so like, you know, we can get really stuck on the left brain with all the technical stuff and forget that we're trying to convey a sort of emotion um, and, and, and that's what, you know, the best mixers do is, is bring emotion to the song and not just make it sound good. Um, so, so like I find when you're deep in the weeds with a thousand different plugins and wondering which reverb you should use and all this stuff, you kind of can lose complete touch of what you're actually supposed to be doing, which is making the, the song sound good and, 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 and bringing emotion to it. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the inspiration of that five plugin video was, was to just understand that you don't need all this stuff and you can just make, I mean, you can make a really good mix with like one good EQ, one good compressor and, and a couple good reverbs or a delay or whatnot. And, and, and just, you know, not, not to get so stuck on the plugins and this guy's using all these plugins. And if I don't have these plugins, I won't sound as good as this guy. Um, you know, I just like, I just went to mix with the masters with Jason Joshua and, um, Dave Pensado, which was a crazy experience. And these dudes are, these dudes are using our compressor on everything. So like (laughs) the, the, just the idea that you need all this different stuff. I think it's just needs to be tamed down sometimes. And I think we can, we can all, and I'm definitely guilty of it. Um, get, you know, way into the, the, the gear and not the, the, the ear, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the ear, not the gear. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Be the way to put it. So I, that reminds me like when I was at smart studios, um, which is Butch Figg's place up in Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. And um, I can't remember if I learned this directly from him or if it was because I read, you know, an article that he was in at the same time we were up there at the studio. But, uh, but I remember him talking about like um, stuff that he uses and he was like, yeah, you know, they, cause they use pro tools a lot and it was kind of a new, newish thing at that point. And right. it was like, you know, you talk about how like, oh, totally is just the digit design, you know, EQ for for low cutting things and simple, simple stuff that helps coming in. And and I was really struck by it. I was like, really? You can you can do that? And it's like, yeah, duh, you can do it. I mean, like so many <laughs> of these tools are just yeah. doing pretty simple, straightforward, basic stuff. So we were you talking about like EQ, compression, um, well, what what do you feel like are some of the categories at least to consider for you know what should be in your toolbox? You know, if it's I mean, not I think, manufacturer I think specific. Always, yeah, no, I mean, I think always just having a good SSL channel strip can get you 90 percent away through the mix. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, the the EQs are great on that, and the compressor's pretty good on that, and it's got a gate. I mean, it's got everything you could possibly need. Um, then maybe eleven seventy six and the LA two way plug in you know like those are the two compressors i use all the time or you could just do it all with our compressor or 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 whatever you know um like give me those five plugins and i'll do a whole mix and throw in a reverb and delay and i'm good you know like i think it's just you know the sim i think for like when you're first starting out mixing the simpler the better like just use the plugins in your doll or get like the waves gold bundle and that's it like stop stop looking you know because Mm-hmm. all that envy stuff can mess you up and be like, oh, well, the reason why his record sounds so good is because he's got the full UAD package. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, it's it's important just to keep things simple. 
Um, well, and worse is like, you know, even beyond Envy is just like, if you got a ton of options every time you go to look for a compressor and EQ, I mean, I do, and it just slows me down. You know, I'm like, oh, dude, 100%. I mean, I'm sitting here like, you know, preaching useless plugins. I got every damn plug in the world. A lot of that's <laughs> because. A lot of that's because when P sessions come in, I'll just get the plugins that I that they're using so that I know I so I have the same sound. Um, but like I have a ton of reverbs, you know, and like it's it, it can be overload, like, oh well, which one should I use? Like you could spend half half the day just figuring out which reverb we're gonna use on the vocal, you know? Right, so, right. Well, I but, do think that um it's kind of cool. Some some of the DAWs, I uh I'm not using this a lot in Pro Tools, but I believe it does exist in like Studio One and stuff, is you can have a like a favorites list of plugins. Yeah. It, it'd be really cool to like just before you even start on the record, you like, these are the ones I want to use for this mix project. So you just have like narrow it down to just like five or ten max that you're looking at the whole time. So you just yeah. always go to the same usual stuff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean 95% of the time I'm using the Pro Q3. Like that's the number one plugin on my favorites list. And I just hit it and there it is. Um you can do any EQing you need to do with that plugin. Yeah, it's great. I use I have the Pro Q2, but it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're both they're both great. Well, dig it. Um, let's see. So that was so EQ compression, um, limiting. I guess saturation is one you probably want, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love saturation. So I could give you a list of plugins on that one. Um, I think saturation is really important <clears throat> in hip hop and well, any music really, because it can bring life to the song, and it can also bring um, loudness. Where you know, um, is which is still kind of important is to get your record loud these days. Um, so I use a lot of saturation. That's why I use the console one still sometimes. So I'll just put that on all the channel and give it some drive. Um, so it just gives it like a little more of that analog vibe, which is was what you know. A lot of mm -hmm. records sounded like big and great because they were going through so many pieces of gear that were doing strange little things to it to make it exciting and vibrant, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so using like that, I use a, a Sound Toys little radiator a lot of times for that. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I was just using that a bunch recently. Yeah, Soft Tube Harmonics just came out not too long ago, and that's awesome. Um, there's so many, like, there's so many tools. There's also this new, uh, there's also this new plugin called Spectrum, Spectru. Something like that. You guys mm -hmm. should check it out. So it's it's all like um, it's not it's it's it boosts saturation. It's like an EQ, like a Pro Q, but it will boost saturation sound uh, as opposed to like boosting EQ wise. It's kind of weird, but it sounds really cool and can kind of give you like a different um, sound. Like instead of just boosting EQ, it's boosting like energy and stuff. I'm Ooh, not I sure. I like that. I like that. So yeah. it's almost like you're looking at an EQ. To add some like saturation and excitement, but back. yeah, yeah, you know why I like that idea. I, I mean, I haven't used it yet. I'm already raving about it. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, <laughs> is because uh, one of the frustrations about saturation is like you're trying to add something, and now there's there's such a variety of possibilities that you're right. like, oh, which kind of distortion do I want to use on this, and how do I change the sound of it to something that fits this. You know yeah. this this sound of this instrument in the mix instead of like the wrong. I mean, like you know, we, I mean, you as a guitar player, you know it right away. You plug your guitar and it's the wrong amp setting, and you're like, not that, you know, right? 
But as a mixer, sometimes it feels a little more elusive. And I like the concept that maybe there's a saturation where you're like, cool, just like, I just want more low end in this, or I just want more mids or more highs or something. So that would be pretty cool if it works like that. Yeah, that's what's great about it. Because sometimes you use a saturation plugin and it's like, it sounds really good for the low end, but it's like bringing the mids too loud. Um, And so, you know, this this can help do that. And, And also another trick I do too, a lot of times with like 808s and stuff, is I'll duplicate the track three times and just filter them differently. So I have just like 100 hertz below on one track and then like 150 or 100 hertz to like 500 hertz on the middle track and then the rest, the high end on the third track. So that way you can actually like just bring up the low end or you know take some of the mid-range of the 808 out or just distort the high mid-range or whatever. Um, so I'll split tracks a lot of times and then just saturate certain parts of it so that, you know, it's that part that I want is sticking out more. You know what I mean? Okay, so I was just looking on the browser here. It's not, is it Spectro, the Spectral Editor? That doesn't sound like the right one. Let me try to find it here. All right, we'll find it for you, Rockstars, while we keep chatting here. We're, yeah. we're, we're that cool. We're that live. We can <laughs> we can be Googling while we're interviewing at I the same time. I have a session open right in front of me. You know, um, I want to encourage another thing, too, like when it comes to effects, um, understanding that, the basic delay effects that come in your DAW um, have most of the elements that you need to create a delay that does the thing you want. So, like for example, you know, a short delay versus a long delay, they all do that. You don't need a fancy one to be able to get that. Um, sometimes the difference between a delay effect that sounds analog is just as simple as rolling off the top end of the return of that delay that's feeding back on itself, you know, so it sort of gets darker and disintegrates in the same way that tape does, Um, you know, so, so you can get a lot out of that. And then also just the reverbs, like I I do think that some reverbs seem to sort of fail and get boingy on, on percussive instruments, but um, a lot of times you can get a great, a, cool delay or a reverb effect out of just the built-in deverb that comes with, you know, standard with Pro Tools in the past. Uh, yeah, deverb's great. I love that plugin. Yeah, and I'm sure Studio One, for example, probably has a ton of cool reverbs in it. Yeah, yeah, just compressing and EQing your actual reverb returns can totally change the sound and and make it fit a lot of times better than just, you know, throwing the reverb on and be like, ah, this works, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, totally, totally. A lot of my reverb returns and compress them and uh, it can really help, you know, pull it together better. So, so here's let's share this, um, Rockstars. One quick tip about, um, you know, you, you've got a reverb. It's kind of almost right, and particularly in the drum world, but it's not really. Um, and then just try putting a low cut on there, scooping, the, you know, rolling that up to a certain point, and see, um, you know, when it's too much. Same thing with a high cut. Cut the highs out bring them down a bit with an EQ and then throw that into some kind of 1176 plugin and just just start pushing the input. Um, and it, what it can do is it can, to, to my ear, it helps make the reverb speak a little more. You yeah, know? 100%. Yeah. You know, it's like it becomes more characteristic in the mix instead of feeling like an alien thing that you're trying to add. Yeah. And the other cool part of that too is it makes it unique to that song so that it's, not, you know, like... Doesn't sound like every other reverb out there. It's like your own reverb, which is I always I always get like I dig things like that. Like, yeah, it's just like Valhalla reverb, but I got like four plugins after it, so it doesn't sound like any Valhalla reverb. <laughs> right, right. And Valhalla is another good one to know about for sure. Oh yeah, man, their stuff's amazing. It's only fifty bucks for a plugin. It's just nice. Yeah. All right, so um, anything else in the plugin category that we need to consider? Um, 
What about bass boosting things? Stuff that like sort of adds, I guess saturation kind of does that. Yeah. I use black box a lot on the bass. Our bass, I still use a lot. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been using on bass. Uh, is there By the name? way, I we we acknowledge we publicly acknowledge Rockstars that just after we said it doesn't matter what plugins you need, we started <laughs> listing off all kinds of them because it is fun actually. After all, I did I did find it's called Spectra by Wave Waves Factory, and it's a multi band enhancer plugin. So that's the one I was talking about. Okay, Spectra. dig it. S P C T R E. Thanks for finding that for us, man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. All right, dig it. So let's see. Let's jump forward a little bit. Um, talk about setting up your mix template to be ready for a new mix. Yeah, no, for sure. That's that's super important to me. So my mix template will have a bunch of delays and reverbs and different sounds already set. And then I I run all I run uh, subgroup all my different instruments. So I have like a drum bus, a bass bus, a music bus, a vocal bus, and then an effects bus. Um, and and so uh, everything's color coded. So I know that my drums are yellow, my bass is blue, my music is green, and my vocals are pink. Uh, sorry, purple. Nice. So, um, <clears throat> so I can. So a lot of times when you move it around, you can know that I need to change, turn that kick down, so I can scroll up and be like, see the yellows. There's the kick. Um, I, I think it's really important, and this is something for all you guys at home doing it to be organized. And this will help my life if you ever send me a song to mix. Is <laughs> just a organization will help you your song sound better because you'll know where everything is and you'll start understanding like, Oh, I don't really need that track. I can merge these tracks together. Um, and then, you know, I like to send everything to subgroups, uh, because you know, you can get a mix really close and then it'll be like, Oh, it's just needs like a little more drums or, or the bass is just like poking in the drums a little bit. So on the subgroups I can go and maybe just turn the drums down to DB or if there's like just a little too much low end, I could put a slight filter on the bass um, subgroup. Mm -hmm. And 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 sometimes what I'll do like is is like on the music section, I'll uh, use like an MS EQ and just cut out the mids a little bit, so it gives the vocals more room to uh, to push through. So you can like cut the middle down a little bit, but then boost it on the sides, so you still feel the energy of the music. But it's just you know like the vocals pushing through a little bit more, and it gets gets the music out of the way. So by by doing like the subgroup things, you can really kind of like do final touches and dissect the music a little bit more uh, when the mix is almost done. Well, so what's so, help the rock stars understand like where some of this stuff goes? Do you like to have do some sub like let's say you got you know eight drum tracks or ten drum tracks going? Would you have a drum subgroup right underneath those typically? Like they all kind of go from top to bottom down into that subgroup of drums? No, I, no, I keep all my subgroups at the top of my session. So I know that they're all there. So the drums, music, bass, all that's right next to each other. Um, that way, like when I'm fine tuning things, I can just kind of touch it up. But like all my drums will usually go to the drum bus. And then depending on the kind of song, if it's like a live live drum set song, then everything goes to the drum bus. If it's more hip hop or pop music, I'll have a drum bus. And then what I call like a percussion hi-hat bus um, where all the cymbals and high-endy stuff go. Um, okay, what's what's the thinking behind that? Why split it up? Because uh, I like to parallel compress the drums a lot and like do all kinds of stuff to make the, the kick and snare really punch through the speakers. But what I've found is when you parallel compress the drums and the cymbals together, um, the cymbals just get really loud and annoying. So by splitting them up that way, 
I can have the kick and snare just like punching through, but the, but be able to control the cymbals and hi hats separately. Nice. Um, okay, so you've got subgroups at the top of your mix session or session, and that way it's easy for you to go up there and see everything right next to each other when you're trying to do final tweaks. But while you're sort of building and growing the mix, you're you're not looking at those so much. You're down a little deeper in the in the individual tracks. Do yep. you also have like more subgroups later on? Um, let let's say somebody sends you two two mono files of a, or like a two mono tracks of an organ. It's like a, a left, a, a right, and a, a bottom. How do you manage yep. something like that when you got like? I mean, that's like a typical B three track, for example. Yeah, no, as the session goes on, as I'm mixing along, I'll subgroup certain things, like I'll put all the guitars together or something like that. Um, and that will just stay where where those tracks are. Um, that way I can just, you know, if the guitars need to come down a little bit, boom, I can turn it down to DB right there. Um, the main subgroups are just kind of like, almost like a final like stem mastering thing, if you will. Right. Um, so, so yeah, as the session builds, like all my background vocals will go to a background vocal uh, aux. My leads will go to a lead vocal aux. And then they might even get divided down into different auxes within those um, if need be. So th those different like stem auxes or whatever you want to call it, those will stay where the tracks are. But my four main buses always stay at the top. Okay, um, I, you're sparking all kinds of dumb, silly questions, so I'm just keep asking them. You <laughs> talked about the colors in your template. Um, do you start with like a session? Now you have to go in and move a bunch of tracks around to organize them and color them, or do you sort of have a template where like all these kind of colored tracks are ready to go, and you're sort of just dragging audio files and dropping them into the session that kind of way? Oh no! So my template is just just you know my my reverbs and delays and and then my buses all set up. Then I I drag in all the new files that I'm gonna mix that song, and then I start organizing the files and color coding them and putting them in the right position. So I have I always do it bass, drums, music, vocals. So that's how they go down the chain or down the the session, right? And and so I'll put them all together, color code them send them to the appropriate buses, and then I start mixing. Um, okay, all right, dig it. So there's, there's, there's no getting around it. I mean, like we have to put in a little bit of setup time to get our template ready. It's not like a one-button push and insta, oh, yeah. insta mix or something like no, that. No, no, yeah. I mean, the setup's half the thing because so like I, I, I mix with like stuff on my mastering uh, channel and, and, and stuff on some of the buses and stuff right out, right out the gate. So... For me, like gain staging is is such a big part of how my mix is going to come out because it has to hit the buses a certain way, which have to hit the mastering chain a certain way. So um, mm -hmm. sometimes, depending on the song, sometimes songs come and they're 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 pretty well balanced already. But if they're not, I'll 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 get the balance right before I send it through my my, my different chains and stuff. And just make sure the balance is good, and then I'll go and stem them to the different different buses, you know, vocals, drums, uh, and then those all feed to the mastering chain. Okay, cool. So, so, so your your augs groups and mastering chains and things like that, those are sort of how how do you arrive for somebody who's like, I don't know what to set these things at. Do you feel like you have any advice for the rock stars about how to how to arrive at? appropriate settings for their own mix templates? Is it just like you got to keep incrementally mixing until you arrive at something that 
this is about where it ends up living, or is it, or is there a more scientific way to to nail it on the very first try? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to build your mix template, I think the best way to start is 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 maybe just have some reverbs and delays, and then start building it. Like if 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 you do rock music, for instance, um, you might just want to use like you know a uh, uh, SSL compressor on your mix bus. And start playing with that, and and see how that hits 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 different songs you put through it, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of get a setting um, that works for you and works for a lot of different songs, and then you just might have to tweak it a little bit. Um, so I think building a template can be something that evolves; It's not necessarily a one and done thing. Um, the more you learn, the more like you're like I like the way drums sound through this plugin all the time. So like yeah. That's that's the way that goes from here on out. Um, I know for me, I think sometimes about like uh, adopting parallel compression settings um, for drums, for example, like having like a kick bus, a kick snare mono crush that's going that's getting added to a mix plus a parallel kind of thing. And um, it's nice if I can arrive at some settings for those that that t- worked on the last mix so that. When I start building the next mix, all I have to do is sort of like, you know, tweak the kick drum into that sound and not have to like tweak the kick drum into something and now go add something that's a parallel compression and have to figure it out. But I do feel, I agree with you. I feel like you just sort of, you, you one step at a time, you work your way towards something where you're like, okay, this feels balanced. Like this is working now. Uh, This is what I'll start the next mix with. And I don't have to sweat some of these settings until I get a little deeper into it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, that, that that's the thing. Like I have a bunch of different parallel s- channels that are that are turned off, but in my template. And that's just stuff that I kind of built over the years. I'm going to learn from somebody else or or stumbled upon it myself and and they're in my template now. So when I'm, you know, when I when I hear something I'm like, "Oh, that that would really work for that." You can just turn it right on and put it onto the track, you know. Yeah. Um, and if it's, it's turned like, off, it's not taking up your processing power. Right, it's just, exactly. It's just, you can just hide it and have it sitting there, you know, ready for that song, you know? Yeah. So. All right, dig it. That's cool. Um, how about mastering? Similar uh, template value in mastering, or is mastering more in your world like a routing out through that the the right side of your console? Yeah, so mastering is weird. So so depending, some sometimes I, I mix and master is usually what I get called on, or or just master. I kind of approach the two differently. When I'm mixing, I mix right out the gate into my mastering. That's um, pretty wild. Yeah, that's, on, that's like the, that's always been kind of the dream uh, concept. Is like, man, what if I could just hear what the final result of this was going to be while I was making these decisions? You know. Yeah, I almost suggest like trying, and, and I know a lot of people are going to think I'm crazy to say this, but Matt, like, get your mix started and get it as loud as you want to get it right away. Like, put the limiter on it, slam the limiter, and and have it mastered almost before you mix. <laughs> yeah, and I know that sounds nuts, but I found that if if you do that and and it's loud already, it. It it helps change the way you mix it a bit, and so so like a lot of times, like a lot of guys will do is you'll you'll mix the song, and then you'll be like, all right, let me throw the limiter on, and your mix goes to shit. Uh, sorry, right. I don't know if you swear on here or not. No, but, we can swear. Uh, we can say uh, shit. We can say whatever okay. else you want. <laughs> so you put the limiter on, and everything goes to hell, and you lose all your transients, and the thing falls apart. So by starting the mix with a limiter on, even if it's just hitting a couple of dB, you start mixing differently and 
and the tra- finding ways to keep the transients in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like, I, that's why I like to start with the mastering chain already kind of going because that's, that's the way that the song is going to sound at the end, you know? Well, now, it's what like, about your volume knob for your speakers? Are you, you mixing in speakers or mixing in headphones? Where do you put in the, yeah, you know, the early part of your work there? Um, I, I have a, uh, Avocet and just, you know, some, some barefoot speakers. And I listen at like, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know, like 80 dB usually. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll get louder, sometimes I'll get softer, but I'm, I'm usually right around the same spot all the time. As same as, spot, meaning the volume knob is, goes to about the same zone? No, the, the volume knob moves because, you know, if, if you throw it through a mastering changer, you're going to get like another 10 dB. So like, you know, starting off, I'll have it cranked. And then, and then once it goes, starts put, once I put this, the stuff through my whole chain, then I'll bring it back down so that it's, I kind of know at this point, like. Mm, so you uh, wait a little bit on the chain. You start building before the mastering's introduced and then introduce it. No, no. You're a little closer. I, no, I I go right in right into the mastering chain right away. So well, I guess I'm a little confused because it sounded like you said you you start with the volume cranked and then bring it down well, yeah, as, when you yeah, go through sorry, the mastering. Sorry, I guess I'm making it. That's all right. Um, so so I'll start off by loading the files in right, and just making sure the levels are all good. Like it's is like the, you know sometimes people bounce things and and and. They took up a plug-in and the kick's 20 dB louder than it usually usually is in their right, mix. Right, right, totally, totally. So, like, st- stuff like that, I'll go through, before I even put it through any of the chains, um, I'll go through and make sure, like, it's just, like, fairly well-balanced, you know, like a good rough mix. Like, yeah. make sure the kick and snare aren't way louder than the vocal. Stuff like that, just so it's not, like, anything that you never would have on a song. Um, and then I'll put it through the chain and that's when I start mixing. So, so once I just have like a basic balance, then it goes through the, the chain and, and the mastering and all that. And then I start actually doing the mix. Yeah. Sorry, man. I was just going to make a joke. I was going to say, unless you're the cool kids, right? Didn't they always have like super, super loud snares in their mixes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's awesome. It's like way too loud and it's cool, you know? Yeah, man. I know. Now the loud snares are everything. Oh yeah. All right. All right. So let's keep going, moving forward here. So, um, thanks for, for digging into some of that mix, you know, template setup. And I I really appreciate that. It's like, get a balance. So you're starting with something that actually makes sense as a song, you know, Um, and then start introducing these, uh, master bus things that just kind of start cranking it up and then, and then keep work, continue working from there into this new level. So, so it makes sense now what you said. You might start with your speakers turned way, uh, up a lot so that it allows you to balance things, but you're also keeping all your set. You're making your balance decisions down low with plenty of right. headroom and then right. turn your speakers back down to where you would listen to a record, you know, when you're streaming it off Apple Music or somewhere or off Spotify or, or YouTube exactly. and then start mixing into your, your, uh, your, you know, final mix bus and master bus right there. Cause I have been doing something like that. I've been doing a split bus where I'm like, what I call it the cold and hot bus. Um, Although that's probably a terrible name. Cause like, who's ever going to want to choose the cold version of the (laughs) the mix. Right. Even though that's probably, that's the one I need to choose. I don't know. Some songs I would actually definitely choose the cold one. It depends though, I guess. Depends on the song. If you're mixing cigarettes, aren't they from a cold part of the world? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there you uh, go. up in Iceland. Um, so, all right, enough dumb jokes, Lidge. Let's talk about um, 
so you know, one of the questions is how can we? Yeah, we'll we'll skip the speeding up because that that really isn't built into the template stuff too. Um, what about um, drums? Let's talk more about like stuff that goes into making the drums sound great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so and I, again, think. there's rock drums, there's hip hop. I like there's a lot of hip hop stuff in the the playlist of your music that that we've got in the show notes. So maybe maybe start by talking about that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just talk about more the hip-hop stuff because I do mix some live stuff, but I'm definitely more of a hip-hop, uh, pop music, electronic music. Yeah, let's go into that. I love that stuff. There's yeah, so much so, for me to learn there. Yeah, so um, so the good thing with dealing with those kind of drums is a lot of times um, they already sound pretty good. So <clears throat> yeah, certain songs, certain songs you don't really want to touch them at all um, but a lot of it for me is doing parallel processing so that you're not because 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 especially with hip-hop music like the drums are everything so like if if you take a, a a track and mix it and change up the drum sound and the way the, the beat sounds you'll never get another call from a producer again you know what I mean right so totally. you got to find a way to send that song back with the drums sounding Basically, they were like the way they sent, except way bigger. Right. So the only way for me to achieve that is through parallel processing. So a lot of times, like I said, I'll get the balance of the drums, and then I'll send it through some chains, and and that could have maybe the R bass on it, or just a bit of compression, or it will subgroup into other other chains where it's like the compressor is slammed, um, and and then I can push that up a little bit. So like. Like I have like four different sort of, or actually three different buses. Um, so like, like I said, my kick and snare go to one bus, and then my mm-hmm. hi hats are a whole separate thing. So I have like four different buses. One's um, just called Dirty, basically that has like a decapitator on it. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes just adding some decapitator sound can can give you some girth to the drums. Um, oh yeah. <clears throat> the other one's called Transmod or Trans Booster. And that's really just a transient designer. And I use that towards the end of a mix. So sometimes you'll have a mix going and it sounds great and the drums are slamming and then you bring the vocals on and it's like you just lose your transients from the drums. Like they get buried. Yeah. So the transient uh, mix is kind of cool because I can just turn it up a couple dB and it will pop out the transients a little harder so that the kick and snare kind of push through the, the mix a bit better um, once things start getting full and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I have another parallel channel called just parallel, which is like a, um, a SSL compressor. Uh, and sometimes I'll go to a pool tech after that, but usually just SSL compressor slammed. And and that can, you know, give me that parallel sound of really making the drum sound big. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will blend those, maybe all three, maybe none, depending on the song, uh, to help kind of big, bring the drums out and make them hit a bit harder. And then just using lots of saturation stuff can really help give the drums a vibe and make them sound bigger, but without changing the sound so much. Like on each drum, each individual. So if you have an 808 going, you put a saturator on that track and you you sort of gently yeah. coax yeah, it into yeah. being sounding bigger. Yeah, exactly. Like like the, I use the black box a lot. Um, one of the guys I I look up to, Jason Joshua, he. Uh, put me onto the black box, so I use the black box a lot for drums. I don't know um, the black box. What's that? What's that one? Oh man, that'll change your life. Um, 
it is by Plugin Alliance, and it's it's just basically a saturation box, and it was made from a piece of hardware um, called the Black Box HD2, and it's got uh, pentoid and trioid um, saturation you can add to it. Um, it's really, really cool, and it sounds great for drums, and, and even some people in Atlanta use it on their mix bus. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's dope, but it can really add some girth nice. and punch without like, without like, like I can get the drums to be like four or five dB louder um, without a level change using the black box. Wow. Just rock stars, just pretend we're not talking about, we're not name dropping <laughs> plugins because we're not going to stop. <laughs> so that's just one. That's just one that's great for using for saturation on drums and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's what a lot of like the hip hop stuff I'm doing is 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 being respectful of the sound that the producer gave me, but just making it sound way way harder. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, well, let, let me say those back to you because that was really cool, man. I love that. It's like, and I can also say this, man. Parallel compression, easiest one, two, three rock stars. Yeah. So, because I love that you just listed three of them. So you've got one, which is the um, uh, one of them is like your set saturation, um, or your, your your crush or something parallel, and that's uh, that has got decapitator on it, and you're sending like the kicks and snares are definitely yep. going to that. Another one is you call parallel, which is like an SSL compressor into a Pultec, and it's probably stereo and it's probably um you know got the little bit of the smiley face yeah you know. the standard ssl i usually actually i'm just using the low one on the on the pull tech but um it's you know the standard ssl i mean everyone you can google ssl parallel compression and find sixteen thousand videos on it so yeah but, but, I, but i will ask you this since since the our settings might be different everywhere, what what does the needle look like? What should we expect to see on the needle on, on oh, a parallel sure, like, like that? Eight to eight to ten dB. Okay, cool. So if you're just like doing a tiny bit rock stars, you're probably missing the point. Yeah, slam it. <laughs> All right, dig it, dig it. Um, and then does attack and release matter so much on this, on that that kind of thing? Yeah, I just do the fast attack, slow the release. Somebody called it something the other day, uh, snake eyes or something. I, I don't know what, what it was. but Okay, cool. Um, yeah, it was some new term I've heard. I mean, that's like a pretty generic setting for SSLs. Um, and, that, and, and depending on the drum, sometimes if I just need a little more, I can uh, I'll change the attack. But usually, just uh, slow attack, fast release. And that and the thinking behind that is that we're not trying to like it, it's just like it's just keeping it slammed, squashed but that, all the time, everything, trans- so that you can just bring a little in. Oh wait, yeah. without losing the transients. But aren't we um, aren't we doing it super fast so that it's actually clamping oh, down sorry, on all the I, transients? I, I do slow attack, fast release. Oh, okay. All right. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Rockstars, yeah, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'll make sure we get to the bottom of this. Awesome. So Got it is it. letting the punch through of the transients. Yeah. And it's getting out of the, it's it's trying to let go of the compression real fast too. So that right. it, like all that quiet stuff sort of rushes forward, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. All right, dig. And then the third um, is this, uh, oh no, sorry. This I skipped over number two is what I did. Number two or our third one is is the trans booster, which is like using a transient designer kind of plug-in, but doing it on parallel, which is kind of cool because I've been exploring transient designer more in rock mixes, but I keep putting it on the um, track itself. Yeah, on like a snare, for example, you know. I kind of came up with to to just like it, it's different, but but what I found is like I said, you know, sometimes I'd I'd lose the punch of my mix when um when I was you know, towards the end of a mix, right? 
Yeah. So I was like, well, let me just parallel transient design a little bit, like crank the attack and just have it. So, cause then you're just getting like from each sound. And I just brought it up a little bit and it, and it, and it, and it actually worked. So I've been using it ever since. Want to record killer drums in your home studio? Then check out Rockstars of Drums to learn how to record, edit, and mix pro-sounding drums with a professional Nashville session drummer in a Grammy-winning studio. Or if you're ready to start mastering your own records at home, then check out Rockstars of Mastering, where I walk you through exactly how I mastered my own records, Skadoosh, using nothing but plugins in PreSona Studio One. And if mixing is your focus, then check out my free course, Mix Master Bundle, where I show you how to mix using stock and free plugins and Pro Tools. And the best part is these techniques would work for you in whichever DAW you're using right now. Plus, you get a look at how I recorded everything in my studio and multi-track downloads for you to practice mixing and even include in your mixing portfolio if you want. Are you ready to make your best record ever? Then go to Mix Master Bundle to get started for free now or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode. All right, um, 808s, that's a big, you know, or or big kicks is a big part of your world. Um, yep. What are some things that help you know that you're getting the low end right in your mix? And then um, what do we need to know about how that uh, a low end element of a mix, a hip hop mix, you know, should we hear it in things that don't have low end, like an iPhone speaker, or should we not hear it at all there? I think, I don't know, that's tough. I mean, it depends on the 808. Um, <laughs> sometimes you'll hear them in the iPhone, sometimes you won't. The, the sign of a good hip-hop mix is that you do hear it in the iPhone. Um, and so with 808s, um, a lot of times I just honestly leave the 808 alone or I'll use a little bit of our bass just to get a little more like of the harmonics of it because what happens, especially like iPhones and stuff, if you have just all low 808, you're not going to hear it on the iPhone. Right, right. So, so adding harmonics to it through saturation or what have you, Will help the the 808 sound bigger and 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 heard on more on on more speakers. Um, so like the R bass is really good for that, and and again the black box helps a lot for that too. Um, or just distorting with like little radiator or something like that uh, can help the 808 kind of cut through a bit more. And maybe it's unfair for me to just throw out a term like 808 because maybe we should describe low end stuff is either you know there's the long sustaining low end like stuff that's like that and then there's i don't know if that sounded good over my mic here just now but (laughs) felt real good in my head yeah (laughs) and then uh uh, you know and then there's punchy kicks too which are short like you know right that kind of stuff and so maybe you know i don't know do you do you approach those two different sounds differently or is it more like like what you said before where it's like that production decision has been made and you're just trying to sort of increase the the bigness of both of those. Yeah, it's usually more the, the latter. I mean, because, you know, hip-hop producers kind of have that sound that they want. Some guys, like, want all 808. Some guys want big kicks. And and I, I will say this, you usually got to pick a winner. So, right. you know, like, either the 808 is going to be the winner or the big punchy kick is going to be the winner. But it's really hard to get loudness in and compete um, with with both going because it just gets like a muddy mess and and it's just all all low end and and you don't either hear the kick or you don't hear the 808. So usually one I'll filter one or the other, so the other one can be the star. You know what I mean? So yeah, 
either it's going to be the punchy kick or it's going to be the 808. So if it's the punchy kick, then I might filter some of the low end of the 808 so it's still heard with the harmonics, but the kick's like, you know, the main thing you're hearing. Um, and Interesting. Versa, you know? Interesting. So like a long, like that, that long sustaining sub bass sound, it doesn't necessarily have to have the subs in it to still fulfill the musical role. Yeah, I mean it, it. It does, but you can turn it down and, and add it through uh, through harmonics with our bass and stuff, so that it, it kind of sounds like it's more low end than it is. Can, can you? Bass, just amazing, like that. Yeah. So, and our bass is cool, and I know there are some other tools that kind of do that too. But can you sort of describe to the rock stars like what they're like? What is our bass? What does that do? Can you describe? Oh, yeah, eh, I don't want to put you on the spot for the technicality no, 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 of no, it. Cool, but. It's cool. Our bass is a century old <laughs> plugin. Um, from waves that you know what it does is it adds um, second, third, fourth, whatever second harmonics to a sound. So if your bass is at 80 hertz, it will add um, like 160 hertz basically, right? And and so on from there. So it adds like so what we hear is 80. And this is where I start getting really bad at the technical side. Right, right. Emotional, emotional. I thought we didn't have to take math. Yeah, yeah. I'm more of an emotional mixer than a technical guy. But um, it, it, so it adds the harmonics to it. So so our ear perceives it as sounding like the same frequency, kind of. I, I think that's the way to explain it. Um, but all I know yeah. is like if I have it on 80, it's also going to boost the 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 harmonic frequencies above that. Yeah. Yeah, harmonics are uh, multiples of the the fundamental tone. So right there, you see, you're much better explaining that kind of stuff than well, I. Well, yeah, but I wouldn't. <laughs> I, you know, um, it's so for me. What, what what I never quite understood was like, um, you know, you use our bass, and is it adding lower frequencies to to what you had, or is it adding upper frequencies to what you had? It's usually um, upper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, dig it. Okay, cool. And that's funny because it probably sounds like you got more bass because you're hearing the upper frequencies. Exactly. And that's how you get it to stick through the the like smaller speakers too. You know what I mean? All right, cool. So there was another one of your tracks. Um, I don't know if I can point it out quick enough, but I think it was Honey uh, with Jaffro, if I'm saying the name um, right. Yeah, yeah, that was a remix. So I actually mixed the music on that, and that was a, a vocal mix. So that was a funny story because Jeffro wrote the song um, uh, with Kalani, and then it was originally the remix, but the label ended up wanting to uh, put out, which was more the acoustic version, which is actually so random because that never happens. But so Jeffro wanted to release the the almost original version in a way. And so I, we, we got the, the acapella from the label and then mixed all the drums and, and music with the acapella. Well, that's a trip because my question was going to be about the vocals. Yeah, I know. I know. The vocals sound great. I think Jason actually mixed the vocals on that. Jason Joshua. Oh, cool, cool. Well, um, let me see if I can still ask the question because I, yeah. I, I suspect you got some insights for us. Um, but like, you know, um, when when you're doing some vocals and you're trying to make a lot of room or really make the the you know the harmonies or the background stuff sound really wide, um, what are some good good ways to widen out the vocals and like just make the mix sound not like claustrophobic in the middle, but 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 wide and spacious? And I'm not talking about big reverbs. I'm talking about more like the you know actual the, um, vocal. Yeah, the widening. Well, it's if it's the lead or if it's sometimes there's some other doubles and things like that. But 
they can just sound super wide. That that song, for example, just it jumped out at me. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of that's just uh, so. I mean, your lead you're usually going to want to have right up the middle, right? But then the the doubles and stuff you're going to usually pan those further out. Um, and the other thing you can do, which I do a lot of times, is um, I'll have the lead in the middle, but with the doubles, I'll, I'll once again use like a mid side EQ, like the um, Digital V3 or V2 by uh, Plugin Alliance. Mm-hmm. And so you, that's a mid side EQ. And if you guys don't know mid side, what it basically is is you can EQ the middle of the the you know Phantom stereo, whatever it is, the middle, and you can EQ the sides separately, right? Mm-hmm. So you can boost just the mid-range in the middle or boost just the mid-range on the side. So a lot of times what I'll do with background vocals is cut the mid-range in the middle, but boost it on the sides. And so what that does is it gets it out of the middle so the lead vocal can stick out, but still gets you that big double set, like uh, doubled or harmony vocal sound because it's still on the sides. You know what I mean? Interesting. So it's like you're... You're not just taking every background vocal and panning it all the way to the left and all the way to the right. You can build more of like an all the all across the stereo field, but then just sort of scoop out the EQ of what's in the middle to make room for the vocal. Exactly. Yeah. And so, because sometimes I feel like if you pan out everything, it just gets too too wide. Or and then yeah. I also I feel like when you pan low end vocals all the way out, it, it doesn't sound right. I like to keep the like the low harmonies more towards the middle or like at twenty five percent, fifty percent on each yeah. side. Um, and then pan the higher ones out further. So uh, using that EQ, using the mid-side stuff, and you can do this for music stuff too. I think we talked about when I was going over the buses, um, getting rid of some of the middle information and boosting it more on the sides leaves room for your drums and your vocals to be the star of the show in the middle. That's cool. That's a good tip, man. I like that one. And it's like, you know, when I think of the widener, sometimes you think of the MS and you're just like, oh, I'll just rotate it so it's more towards the sides than the middle. But instead of doing that, you're kind of doing a, an alternate version to that by playing with the EQ settings. Yeah, yeah. You can just scoop out like whatever you want to stick out or whatever's getting in your way, you can scoop it out in the middle and push it out to the sides, you know? All right, cool. Um, now, here's a question for you that you probably get a lot, but um, you know, what, what tips, when you're doing a um, mix that's just a stereo track and a vocal, you know, that's pretty common for, for mixtapes, I think, and hip-hop and stuff like that. Do you have yep. any tips for people about how to get a little more bang for their buck on that kind of very simple, you know, stereo plus mono production. Yeah. Get the stems. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Um, man, it's always hard because <clears throat> a lot of these producers limit the hell out of their, their two track beats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I hate doing that. Um, but you know, if, if that's all you got, um, sometimes you can add transients, to the actual um, the track, the two track, if it's like if, if all your transients got squashed in the uh, limiting, um, doing like that transient thing I was talking about on my um, parallel, uh, parallel and transients can sometimes help to bring that thing to life a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a good tip um, because you can just bring out a little bit more attack out of it where, where and when you need to. And maybe that mid side thing can help even in that situation. Although I guess yeah. you don't really want to scoop out the power of the of the kick and the snare that are up the middle. Yeah, you can sometimes do it in that 3K range where the vocal's like a lot of times taking up space. Um, and But just like a DB, if it's a two-track, there's not a whole lot you can do with it, you know? Uh, there was a cool video I watched recently. I think I was just um, watching more videos about about um, uh, dynamic EQ, you, the way, ways to use that. And it, yeah. was, it was like, take the 
um, vocal and then, you know, take your music bus, have that go through a stereo bus, have your vocal go separately, and then just take the, the vocal, find the frequency on a dynamic EQ that's sort of in the vocal range where it's most prominent and, and duck that a little bit on the music yeah. bus so that it's kind of, it's almost like scooping, it's EQing it slightly in that zone to help the vocal just kind of sit through or come through more. Yeah, I love, love, love dynamic EQs. I use them on vocals a lot. I'll use it on, um, I, I, I use a dynamic EQ on on my 808, um, and but I have it side chaining from the kick so that whenever the kick hits, it ducks the same frequency the kick's in. Um, dynamic, yeah. you know what I mean? And then with vocals too, if you can do a tight Q, uh, that's why I like the Q3 now because it has dynamic EQ in it. So you can find like frequencies you really hate about the vocal and like really dial them in and then just click the dynamic EQ and cut it like 10 dB. So just when those really bad frequencies come in, it takes them right out. Um, nice. That's a good tip, man. I like that. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of dynamic EQs. Yeah, I think it's just it's cool to understand that dynamic EQ is a great tool that you can put on a track where there's something harsh going on and you're trying to control certain frequencies that are too much. But it's also yeah. a good one to make to use sort of in that parallel or the... the um, uh, the the uh, side chain setting where yep. you're sc- you're making room for something else. Yeah, and what's cool is like you know a lot of times you're like, oh, this frequency is not so great. Let me just cut it. But then you lose the frequency and all the good parts it's in. You know, yeah. So like, to me, dynamic cue is great because it will when it, when it gets too bad, like the frequency, like because a lot of times the frequency will pop out that you don't like, but it's not there the whole time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So by using the dynamic EQ, it can pull it back when it's when it's annoying or harsh to your ear, but then it doesn't take it out the whole like through the whole vocal track. You know what I mean? Yeah, and um, you know it's it, it's also better than just side chaining an entire compressor because you may not have wanted that whole eight hundred eight to just completely disappear when the kick hits. You just not, might need to make room for the the low end, and that's it. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's 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 why um. It's one of the greatest tools out now. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, there you go, Rockstars. That might be one non-stock plugin you're going to need to seek out. <laughs> um, let's talk about um, very quickly, um, and we go, we'll roll out here. But um, you know, you have a very cool website. You've really built uh, a cool YouTube channel, and you've sort of grown a real online presence. Talk to the Rockstars about um, your website and some of the methods that you use to make sure that. You know, it's got the right info in there, and that also helps you bring in new clients to work with. Yeah, that's um, that's some man. That's a real hard. That's almost harder than mixing is trying to put enough information so people understand what you're you're you have and what the service you're offering, but um, not too much information to overload people because, you know, a lot of times it's it's a there's a wide variety of people and their knowledge with the music. So some people are just recording it starting to record at home and can just barely get the the vocals recorded perfect like you know well and some yeah. people have been doing this for 20 years and might know more than me about mixing you know so <laughs> so like yeah. there's there's such a wide variety and it's like um uh it's been a lot of tweaking and changing wording and stuff to get the website to be good enough so people you know with little knowledge can understand what it is and people with a lot of knowledge can understand what it is. Yeah, um, I noticed you have an FAQ section where it's like... Yeah, 
That's huge because a lot of people just have the same questions and it's like, you can go to the FAQ, everything's there. Even just like exporting, how do I send, well, you you know, I saw that you're on Studio One, how do I send my Cubase file, you know? So all that is explained in the FAQ. And the other thing that I that I have that I think has been really important for me is a chat a chat app. Um, so when people- Oh yeah, that's right, website, I noticed that. It binged yeah. up, it's like, hey. And that bro, goes right welcome. to my- Right, right to my phone. So when people have questions, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, but um, when people have questions, I can talk to them right away. And and it's like, we're not dealing with like a, a t-shirt company here. You know, this is like people's lives and people's emotions and people's dreams. Like this stuff's really important to me and more importantly to a lot of the people I work with. So being able to just get personal um, as quick as possible with people about their music is really important. So like the chat app has been great and at least being able to start a conversation with someone who might be interested in getting their song mixed. So, yeah, um, you know, that's, that, that's been the best, like the most effective thing for my website um, is being able to just, you know, chat with people who are really interested in, in possibly having me mix their song. So l- let's uh, break that down a little bit. So rock stars, if you're like, Ooh, people are going to, Message me 24 hours a day. It's not yeah. quite like that, though, right? Yeah, I'm only online nine to five. <laughs> okay, so in other words, it'll it'll message you, but but you can have sort of hours there where it it won't message you and won't interrupt you, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not there 24 hours a day. It's it's basically on from like I can't remember what the hours. It turns itself on and off. Um, I think it's basically nine Pacific time to eight Pacific time or something like that. Um, Monday, yeah, and then. And then the uh, then the the person who's sending you a message, if you're not online, it just says says politely, it's like, well, I'll get back to you. I typically get back by tomorrow morning or something like that. Yeah, you know, that kind and of it will thing. also it will forward it to my email. So if, if if I'm not there and you have a question, you can send it, and then I can email you back. Um, so so that way it's you know it's really useful as far as just you know being able to start talking to someone who might be interested. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a cool, cool thing, and I think that would be valuable for a lot of people with studios. Well, let's jump into the the closing questions here because um, yeah. we've been going a good solid couple hours, and it's time to wrap up and let the rock stars go back to making records. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, this this question is hypothetical for you. Um, actually, before we get to that, let me let me give you give get two more questions from you. Um, yeah. These are sort of you can give us quick answers for, but. Uh, a resource or tip or advice for the business side of doing this for people who don't who want to you know make great mixes and records and do it for more than just a hobby. What um, what advice do you have as far as the how to get work mixing and stuff? Any anything, just like right. give share a business insight um, uh, or a resource or tool you like to use. Yeah, I mean for me, YouTube's been huge. Um, doing the videos, uh, you know, it was a way to give back, but it actually gave me back tenfold. Um, a lot of people hit me on mixes just from the videos I've done on YouTube. So um, I think, I think especially nowadays, uh, the way the world is, I think it's all about giving and then you'll get. So if you're good at mixing or if you're good at something, if you're good at producing or, or whatever, and you want to earn an income from it, I, I think the best thing you can do is give it all away. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, believe it or not, it will it will come back tenfold. You know what I mean? So, so like I think that's that's big in in the world now is is giving away stuff and and, and you get it back. Um, it's like give to get. Yeah, which is kind of an abstract thing, but 
but um, it's it's actually been a theory that I've kind of followed and it, and it works. Um, and then other than that, man, it's just I mean, uh, just you know, another thing you can do is is mix for free. If if you want to become a mixer, mix for free. Find the artist you like on Instagram and and be like, look, man, I want to mix your song for free. And 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 that way you start building up a clientele. And and nothing is better in the music business than word of mouth. So yeah. if you mix 10 songs for free, not only does that one give you a playlist that anyone you want to talk to, uh, you can be like, oh yeah, I've mixed songs. You can check out my Spotify playlist with these 10 songs that I've mixed, you know? So that gives you what what, what is known as a resume, right? And then and then the other thing is 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 those guys will get your song, you know, you mix for those guys and they'll tell their their friends, hey, this guy mixing my songs really good. Then you can start charging those people, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So um yeah there's well, a reminder to make sure when they say yes I'd love you to mix my song for free that you say awesome and um I one thing is I want to be able to use this in my my yeah, portfolio no, on my sure. website yeah, afterwards. Yeah, no 100%. That's that's a good yeah. tip uh, follow up. But yeah, I think that's a good way to start start uh is you know to get going. Okay, uh, cool. Um now how about an organizational tip or resource? I mean, you've got like Mixed templates you're keeping organized. You got loops you're keeping organized. You got incoming messages. You're trying to make sure you get paid for work you do. What what would you want to share with the rock stars about just keeping your shit together? Oh man, that's like a never ending, uh, never ending story. Uh, shoot, I don't know. I'm not the best one to ask on that. Um, I do. How about just something recent that you're excited about? Um, well, you know, I do. Um, I actually, well, something I'm excited about. Okay, this is really way off the map. I found this new uh, calendar app called Sunsama, S U N S A M A, and it's probably the best way for me as a mixer. Um, it's like um, uh, what what do they call it? Uh, like a board where you can drag and drop the different uh, client names around and put them in order on the weekday. Mm-hmm. And then you can add different tasks, so I can have like hashtag edits. It's I know it's uh, I have to get edits done for this client today, or or something like that. So if if you need a great calendar and you want to get organized and be able to just you know throw things in there, and then you can organize when you're going to do it later. On um, Sunsama is a great calendar. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that reminds me of um, Trello as a thing that kind of exactly does that like too. Trello, except it's actually a calendar. Oh, so it, cool, cool. Yeah, it's like, that's what I was trying to remember what it was like. It's like Trello, except a calendar. It's it's really awesome. And it's it's actually helped my organization skills way, like a, a lot. Because a lot of times what happens is I get a bunch of emails. Like I, I usually mix a song or two a day. And then I have edits coming through too, you know, like revisions. So if I see that email come in, I can just add it to this, the, um, the, the Trello board or whatever you want to call it. Sunshine, yeah. And label it, label it Edos, and and um, and then it's all there. And then it's like, okay, <clears throat> what it does is, if I don't get through, because a lot of days I don't get through what I plan, right? It not knocks it over to the next day when I wake up. So all those edits that I might not have gotten done will be on tomorrow instead of today. So it's not like on a regular calendar. Ooh. If you don't do it, it stays on that day, and that's it. But this, it keeps building onto it. So it's like, oh shoot, I still got to get you know Jason's edits. So um, it's really I like cool. that, man. I'm going to use that for the for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, man, check it out. It's, and these guys are—it's really a weird company. They're really cool. You have to like do an interview 
<laughs> in order to get the app. And then they're like, I think you're going to be great for this count. I mean, it's really far outside. Oh, interesting. It's it's right, cool. cool. And they're, they're really good people. And, and it's only like eight bucks a month. So, yeah. Well, that's one of the challenges for me is like when you get a, um, and a, probably for a lot of people, it's like you just have, you feel like I've just got a pile of things I got to do. I can't yeah. I don't even, I'm not even sure how to prioritize them. And then I'll try and put them in my calendar. But then if it didn't get done, it, it gets, just stays it, on that it's day. like an yeah. email. It's like falling down the email mountain, you know? It's yeah. like now, now it's back on last Tuesday and it didn't get done and it didn't get moved to a new spot. So yep. that's a good tip, man. I like that. All right. Um, let's, let's hit the last one. This is hypothetical. We're finally at the hypothetical question. Nice. We're going to take the way back studio machine, man. You get to go back in time. Go find young Maddie who's yeah. um, playing drums and thinking he's a badass. And you say, listen, dude. Let me, let me hit you to something. Here's uh, here's what the single most important thing you actually need to know to be a rock star of the studio yourself today. Uh, one day, what advice would you like to go back and give yourself if you could? Uh, my first advice would be go to LA sooner. That that would have been my first advice to my younger self. Nice. Um, but as far as like a recording tip or something, oh, geez, I don't know. No, that's, that's just for you. Uh, this is just advice you give yourself. Uh, yeah. You know, first thing I would say is you should have left LA ten years ago. <laughs> all right, dig <laughs> it. LA way sooner. That's always been my thing. I would, I would have loved to uh, intern and uh, intern and assisted at some of the bigger rooms out here early on. Now, now I'm pushing forty. It's like I can't really go assist, even though I would. But um. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing. Like to really get into the big rooms where all that magic was happening um, earlier would been would have been really cool. Yeah, it's like get moving. Yeah, get moving. Just go. Yeah, just, just go. go. Awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for being on the recording Studio Rockstars podcast with us, man. It was an awesome time hanging out with you, and I love all the stuff we just learned about mixing. That was great. Oh man, it was my pleasure. I've been, you know, like I said, I've I've known about you for a while, so it was cool to actually hang out and talk. It was a good time. Yeah, man. Well, it's an honor to have you here. Let the rock stars know how they can find you online and where should they go, uh, you know, seek you out if they need to get their next amazing mix and master or or just learn more about how to do it. Yeah, you can check me out. My website is mixandmastermysong.com. Like we said, super generic. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mixed by Maddie. Um, and then the YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash mix and master my song doc or mix and master my song. So hit me up on any of those. You can chat with me, whatever you guys want. Um, if there's anything I can do to help you out, if you have any questions about stuff we went over on this podcast, just hit me on Instagram or, or uh, Instagram's probably the best or the chat. And um, I can, you know, let you know more information on something you're, you're interested in. Okay, cool. So, well, great stuff. And then, um, uh yeah, uh, Rockstar's reminder, we've got um a playlist of the awesome music that Maddie's been making and his, you know, straight to his YouTube channel. Um so just click through on the show notes on your mobile device or on the website and you'll find that YouTube playlist right there. So, dude, thanks very much for being with us on the show. Absolutely you, man. blast hang with you. And I look forward to running into you face to face. Maybe I'll see you out at Winter Nam or something, which is of course, should, man, should of be course. right around the corner from this podcast coming up. I know, right? The way things go, yeah. That's yeah. great. Awesome, dude. Thanks, right, man. man. We'll talk soon. Talk. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, then please share this episode with your friends on social media and leave a rating and review on iTunes to help the podcast reach more rock stars like yourself. 
You can click directly over to iTunes or go to rsrockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And remember to hit the subscribe button to keep up with weekly episodes. And if you're ready to make your best record ever now, then head over to Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can start with my free course at mixmasterbundle.com. And if you want more free content from Recording Studio Rockstars, all you have to do is go to rsrockstars.com slash email. Again, that's rsrockstars.com slash email to enter your name and email, and I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, podcast updates, and even free gear giveaways for your studio. Just look for the link in the show notes below. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being a rock star. I'm Lyd Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, Rockstars. I also want to give a big thank you to our sponsors who helped make this episode possible. OWC, Whisper Room, Eventide Audio, Spectra 1964, and Roswell Pro Audio. You'll find links to all these wonderful sponsors in our show notes. These are all things that I highly recommend you check out for your studio. They're going to help you make your best record ever. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Cheers.